Two Runners, a podcast. Uh, and we're live. <laughs> uh, the ASPCA, that was a joke. I don't ever use a weed eater on the dog's hair. I do use a, um, well, it's it's kind of like the flow cut thing. What was that thing? The Floby. The Floby. I do yeah. use a Floby on them, and I do think that that's approved by you guys. Sorry about that. You should try Nair. I watched a video about how a guy <laughs> shaves his head with Nair and cleans it with a shop vac. <laughs> so Nair and a shop vac for my dog. That's, It'll be next. That's how I manscape. <laughs> that's for the dolphin later. Mm-hmm. So you guys were in somebody's backyard <laughs> recently. Yeah. I think a dog. His name's Speak, Big. Speaking of dogs. Big big dog. So, I, so I, tell I, us I, about Biggs. I wouldn't use Nair on that dog. <laughs> no. So uh, Biggs, Big Dog's Backyard Ultra. So there's several different names that people call it by. Is the uh, uh, original, if you will, last person standing. We're going to say last person standing because, of course, this year's outcome. But uh, you do 4.16667 miles per hour every hour. Until... I, think, I think you missed a six. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do that uh, every hour until no one, uh, until only one person goes. And so it's in uh, Bell Buckle, Ten- Tennessee, at uh, Lazarus Lake, Gary Cantrell's house. And it's named after his dog, Big. He has two dogs. One's named Big and one named Little. And on his property, he's got the little house and he's got the big house. And the start finish is by the little house, and then you go out and you run around the big house and do the big loop, and you come back around, and that's the day loop. Uh, it's a trail, and then at night you're out on the road, and you do an out and back that is boring as fudge. Oh my God, that road loop is terrible. It's not a loop. It's not back. True to its name, within probably I think the first loop that Patrick went out on, we saw Big Dog prove that. It is his yard, and he is the big dog in that area. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely mid-morning. Like, I remember being uh, kind of middle of the road. Like, they'd, they'd already started. They were out doing their first little out-and-back section on the road before heading back into the trail. And I remember hearing, like, the commotion by the, the start and looking up there and this woman spinning around. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I had just been up there talking to the woman, and... Sure enough, like Big was showing Charlie who's boss, and pinned him up against the little porta potty, and I was hesitating to reach in between a dog fight with my money makers, and I'm like, ah, this is a bad idea, and I just reached in and pulled him back, and they were fine once they got separated, but yeah. Unfortunately, Charlie wasn't the first runner to drop. Charlie was actually (laughs) another neighborhood dog. Yeah, wandered onto the property. Uh Yeah. So Big is real protective of his property and. He is the big dog, and so the whole concept of the race is to find out who is the big dog. And So this year is officially designated by Laz as the World Championship. And, uh, you know, he's the governing body, and uh, that's how it works. So he says it's the World Championship, so it's the World Championship. Is that because other backyard races have kind of sprouted up? Yeah, and so, you know, he was the modern originator of it. Um, and so the original was at his place in 2011 or 12, I think, was the first year. And unlike many Tennessee establishments that claim the coldest beer in the USA and the world's longest water slide, <laughs> he, he does actually have, I think, true claim to Oh, yeah. To no, this. And it was truly international. You know, there was a, so there was a series of golden ticket races literally around the world, Dubai, Hong Kong, Germany, Sweden, 
Uh, there was a couple. I think there was one in Bolivia, India, India's. Uh, there was one in uh, New Ireland. Zealand, Ireland. So uh, he definitely had a worldwide, international representation. So part of the crowd that was there was uh, got in on their credentials, and then the other part of the crowd that was there uh, were there from Golden Ticket races, as he calls them, where you have to be the last person standing at the Golden Ticket. And so there were 70, I want to say it was 72 that started. 72 started. 72 yeah. started uh, at the starting line on that, uh, what was it, 6.40 in the morning? Yep. 6.40 in the morning on to a coincide Saturday. with sunrise. To coincide yep. with sunrise, right. And so, uh, yep, so we started off 72 people out of the starting gate all at the same time. And then uh, you go back out and you come back around. So the, the way the day loop is, is that, as you guys were saying, you go out from the property, you go downhill... Uh, and at first you don't think it's much of a hill, but later on it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But uh, you go down this hill, you go down the road, you turn around, you come back, and you go back through the start-finish chute again, and then head out into the woods. So there is a short road loop, I think it was like .58 or something like It was a little over a half a mile. Count uh, the out and back. Above the out and back before you went out onto the trail. Yep. And so how, how was it that you got into this race? Uh, so I was at a... Um, a golden ticket event for North America. So this past year, Laz, you know, came up with the idea of the golden tickets. And so there were seven North American races. And uh, he was going to give two spots to people from North America. So it was going to be, the, of the seven races, the two people with the highest mileage wins would get into bigs. And uh, so we did a race, Jonathan and I did a race in uh, South Florida by... Um, Lake Okeechobee down in the Dupuy water management area called Death at Dupuy and uh, I, I won that one as the <laughs> as the last person standing and uh, yeah and, now they have these golden did, dog medals and I didn't get one of those <clears throat> John is taunting me with a, with a photo of it right now because um, you so, weren't even supposed to be there I'm not even supposed to be there so yeah Death at Dupuy was this kind of whimsical thing I had had this crazy race schedule in December and January of the previous year and then you know we were up in North Carolina and we did this crazy uh, race event with a buddy of ours up there and uh, the whole thing about Dupuy is like there was going to be no services what's it no water no bathrooms no porta potties no nothing you're out in the middle of nowhere and so we were going to have to bring buckets. BYOB. Bring, bring your own bucket, right? And I was just like, listen, I'm not going to shit in a bucket. Like, that was my statement a week out. Like, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it. And then I was taunted by my buddy Chris Geekus up in North Carolina the day after the event in North Carolina. And he just sends me a photo of him in his field uh, with the cold, crisp air all around him. Like, there was frost on the ground around him. And all I see is a picture of him behind. And he's just sitting on a bucket, <laughs> pants down, reading, uh, like, a magazine. And he's just like, what about you? And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> so now I had to go down to Dupuis because I, could, I had to go to Home Depot and buy a fucking bucket and all this other stuff. And I was like, fine. So we went down to Death at Dupuis. And, uh, you know, it was unseasonably warm during the day. Um, and it was a technically challenge. I mean, it was flat, but there was a couple, like, hog-rooted-up areas, and the grass wasn't flat at all. It was all that tuffeted, baia grass-type things. And so it made it interesting and challenging. But I ended up, uh, by, the, by the end of the next day, uh, it came down to me and Kevin May, which is, I love that right now all of the backyard events are mentioning the assist. Because the winner can't get the mileage that the winner gets 
without the other person because mm -hmm. you have to go one loop farther than the other person. So now it's officially being recognized that there's the last person standing and then there's the assist. And so a uh, shout out to Kevin May uh, who doubled his distance PR that day. Wow. Um, and he gave the assist and went um, you know, 125 miles and then I went 129 and I thought, oh, there's still six, because this was the first of the seven races. There's six other races. Like, these other boys are going to blow me out of the water. Like, there's no chance in hell I'm going to go to bigs at any point. Especially now that they had at least something to shoot for. Yeah, exactly. Like, we had no number. Like, it was just like, you know, First true, North American. First North American. So I figured every other race, they were going to be like, beat Florida. You know, like, that was going to be the rallying cry. Because <laughs> there had been one international one, and it was in Dubai. And when we beat Dubai, there was me, Eddie Sosa, and Kevin May. And when we went farther than the winner of the Dubai one, we were like, suck it, Dubai! Woo! And we beat Dubai. And so, you know, we figured that's what everybody else was going to be doing, is that they were going to be like, suck it, Florida! And that was going to happen. And uh, actually, it didn't. So, it was, uh, it was a couple weird circumstances. Like, one of them did beat me by a few hours, but... The guy who won already had an entry to Biggs. And then I was still at the top of the list, top of the list, top of the list. And then one guy beat me by one lap. Uh, and then the very final one, the, the guy was going to, the assist guy was going to drop. And everybody was talking, man, just hang on, hang on. The other guy just needs 32 hours, you know, so that he can knock off the guy from Florida and get in. And so they did that. And, and so he made it to 32. And so Laz made this long post and he was like, Patrick Gallagher's, when you when Laz tags you on Facebook, you're just like, yes, sir, what is it? And so he um, tagged you know, Patrick Gallagher for the long standing. He was the first and lasted until the very end. And that needs to be, you know, given credit. And, you know, and if he's interested, you know, he should shine up type of thing. And I was like, uh, yes, sir. And so I signed up and, and I got in. So I was, uh, by the skin of my teeth, there were technically three uh, North American golden tickets given instead of two. So I got in on the on the uh, unofficial third golden ticket for North America. And you brought these these two chuckleheads with you <laughs> so, as crew. Yeah. So yeah, so Jonathan uh, and uh, Thomas came up with me to uh, to Tennessee. Jonathan, having done um, you know a backyard style event with at Death at Dupuis, and uh, been a part of plenty of our uh, adventures that we had in the last couple of years, and uh, Thomas who has uh, always been there for me at Western States and is keeping me together um, through the athlete stand. Every time I break something, you know, it keeps him in business in a sense. So I break shit and I come in and I'm like, I don't know why my leg isn't working anymore. What is it now, Gallagher? Exactly. And it's like Gallagher's body and we have to try and figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, so through that, I said, all right. And it was funny because Laz kind of made a typo, if you will, at first. He was like, you know, I want to limit the number of crew... And I think he said two people, and I was like, cool, I got two people. And then afterwards, like, he was like, I meant one, but I already said two, so fine, we'll clear out more room, and every person running can have two people. And I was like, they don't take up space, they'll share the same sleeping bag, it'll be fine. And so uh, <laughs> they both got in to be able to crew, so uh, they agreed to take some time off of work and drive up to, to Tennessee with me and, and uh, be there for bigs. So after that starting gun went off, what was going through your head? Oh, it, it wasn't a gun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. Oh, he lit a cigarette? No, he rang the bell. He rang the he bell. Rang he, the likes bell. The cigar he likes the cigarette for, of course, you know, the Barkley Fall Classic and the Barkley Marathons. 
But the man can smoke a cigarette and ring a bell. That's right, at the same time. And so every single hour, right, so at at 6.37 a.m., he blew his whistle three times. And you always get a three-minute warning unless he's asleep and forgot. And then you get a two-minute warning. happened a couple times. That happened a few times during the night. You get a two-minute, he blows it twice, then he blows it once, and then he's like, 30 seconds! And then you step up to the line, and he rings his cowbell, and that's the, that's the start of the loop. And so that happens every hour on the hour, if you will. So he did it the same way. He had a few race, pre-race announcements, so we were all in the starting corral a little early, if you will. And then he blew the whistle each time and gave his announcements. And it, it does start to have this like rat race effect on the crowd, too, right? Because you have this repetitive thing going on, and it is a reminder of what the hell's going on. And you're like, why am I? Oh, yeah, that's right. Ding, 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 ding. Like every hour. It's go time. Yeah. Yep. But very different. What Patrick and I saw at Dupuy and what it sounds like a lot of other backyard events happen, you, know, you, get, you get drops fairly quickly, and you get down to a core group. We saw it at Dupuy. You know, it sounds like previous bigs have been like this, but this one having the the golden ticket, so bringing in people that, you know, whatever distance they ran, they at least were familiar with the format, and then him handpicking you know people based off their pedigree, their resume. It had an all star. I mean, this was definitely the deepest field he's ever had. So, just like Thomas was saying, the bell would be rang, people would you know uh, scurry around, but after 24 hours, over 100 miles. Out of those 72 people that started, there were still over 50 people yeah, going to the corral. Yeah, I think or something like that. Yeah, still hanging tough yeah. at that point. And it was very quick. Like at Dupuy, for example, when uh, Ashley Hecklow is the race director for Death at Dupuy, you know, when she would, you know, blow the whistle for, you know, three minutes, people would already start getting in the corral. Even after the first loop at Biggs, we were like, yeah, okay, good. We got plenty of time. And it was already, like, people were already had nerves of steel. And, like, the whistle was just like, all right, cool. I still got time to do this, this, and this. Two minutes. Yeah, I'm good. All right. So uh, you want that bottle over there? We're still having conversations. Like, I'm not even up out of the chair at this point. And the one minute it would be like, all right, all right. I guess I'm going to get up now and start moving. And then later on, it was like, at night, when it was cold, we'll get to that. But, you know, it was like, only at the minute would I get up and then I would walk over toward the fire, stand by the fire, and when he would say like 30 seconds, he'd be like, all right, cool, I still got 15 seconds. I don't have to. And it would be like the last 15 seconds when people would actually get so in the So it would only be like three steps from the fire to oh, the yeah. back of the crowd. We, we knew exactly how right. long yeah. it would take to get to every point from where our tent was set up to the corral. You know, and it was just like everybody did. Everybody yeah. knew exactly yeah. how long. Yeah. So that was a big difference from Dupuy, where like everybody was like, oh, there's only three minutes. And immediately at Biggs, people were like, yeah, we got plenty of time. We're fine. We're fine. We're fine. There was still, there was the, there was a feel of like angst and anxiety up at the front. And that's why we immediately decided to move your, your stuff back to our own tent, which did, you know, cause him to walk a little bit further after every lap, but, you know, provided an opportunity for him you know, a little more calm headspace in between each loop as well, which was, you know, huge to... Yeah, so there was that, that tent that had all the chairs, like, right next to the corral. And that was kind of... Uh, it was hectic, it was you know, it was, it was there. And we had, we were lucky enough to get there the day before, and we set up the Lloyd Clark tent, and, you know, Jonathan and I, and, and we've used it at different events, uh, you know, from Black Mountain Monster, where it rained like crazy, to death at Dupuy, to when Thomas came down and was helping... Uh, crew and pace people at long haul so we set that up and realized you know what 
I'm going to walk the extra 10 yards or 15 yards or whatever it was each time out of the corral just to get away from what everybody else was doing. Like I could sit down, I could look at these two, I'd hand them my stuff, they knew exactly what to ask me for, and, and everything was, was golden. We were originally going to try and do it up at the tent, I think the first two times? Yeah, two or three at least, and then it yeah. was... It was a very, uh, unlike any race I've ever been a part of, a very serious vibe. There wasn't the, the typical you know, chit-chat, pre-race jitter, especially with the runners. You know, Thomas and I and probably other crew, you know, we kind of started to lighten up, you know, yeah. after it, the first, like, 16 hours. It was interesting because you could tell there were, <laughs> there were attempts the at... 16 hours, we told There were, like, attempts at humor being made. You could tell, and there would be a chuckle, but then that laugh would get smeared off real yeah. quick, and it would be right back to a serious the, face. The runners, especially. It was right, interesting right. to watch those because, you know, usually you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm you know, total FOMO. You, you're missing out being part of the camaraderie, and there was a camaraderie with the runners. It was very much a, a chess match. You know, everybody had, you know, poker faces. Not mean, not, you know, elbows weren't flying. At least I didn't see that. Rubbing his racing. Camp. I'm just saying. <laughs> Rubbing his racing, man. You guys didn't see that, what happened out on the trail. But go on. But, yeah, it was It was definitely, I mean, it, you could feel it in the air. I mean, it was palpable. It was incredibly serious. And that really, pretty much the entire time, it never got... It never really what? eased up. No. No. Like at Death of Dupuis, there were lots of people who were there for, you know, for lack of a better phrase, like shits and giggles. Like they came out, they, you know, they did four loops or, you know, they did a marathon. And I know this sounds silly, you know, to a degree. But when you're doing these things, you know, a marathon at, at, a, at a last person standing is, you know, like a fucking fun run, which is where it starts to get into the insanity of what the fuck we're doing, right? So a marathon. So people at Death of did a marathon and they were out of there. And that was it, you know. And they were like, cool, we're good. Somebody hung out and they did a 50K. They're like, God, woo, got me an ultra, you know. And then, Got my miles Exactly. Or, you know, you hit something like a 50 mile, like the 12 hours. You Many know? of which it was the furthest they'd ever ran. You know, it yeah. was definitely a, a big thing. But, yeah, at the same time, there's so many different reasons people are out, especially at Death of Dupuis. But you moved to this and... There were very few people there that you know didn't know what they were getting into. I, this is the Super I would say Bowl. every single person that yeah. showed up, you know, had either had, a, had experience. No, they had a plan. Yeah, you know, we had we had a couple like really unfortunate drops early, you know, and and, and those a couple were that surprising. came into it. They came into it injured. Yeah, you know, and and one woman she fell a bunch on the on the trail itself because the trail is surprisingly technical. You know, and especially as you start getting a little fatigued, it, it has some surprisingly tricky sections, you know, um, and they don't, they'll sneak up on you, you know, and there was a little bit of time, uh, we had, you know, light rain, and so it was just enough to get the rocks wet. And the so, leaves wet. And, and the leaves wet and everything like that, you know. The week before, Laz had been joking that he was taking a leaf blower out there and clearing the trail, and everybody who was like, oh, well, that's fantastic. And even one person's like, I don't live too far away, I'll bring one over. I was like, you, you don't understand that he's fucking lying. Like, he's, he's not, he's not <laughs> going to no bring... There's no leaf blower. There's not going to be a leaf blower. If anything, he's putting bear traps out there. <laughs> because we ran it together, me, Thomas, and Jonathan, and actually Cole Patel, uh, we, we ran it together the night before, or the day before. We just went out just to get a lay of the land. Yeah, we wanted a feel for what mm-hmm. he was going through. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and it had you know, some pretty mellow section, but you know, there were a couple really rocky just like pay attention to what the hell you're doing type of thing including i remember seeing one i mean there's all kinds of limestone outcrops yeah and you know the footing you do have to pay attention but as patrick mentioned the leaves are down so that kind of obscures your footing but i remember at one point shortly there they're in 
we get to this limestone outcrop area, and right in the center of the trail, there was a crevice that was big enough. You could easily sink, you know, most of the first quarter to third of your foot in there if you weren't oh, yeah. paying attention. Snap oh, yeah. an ankle. So there were, you know, it was definitely a, it, it wasn't hardcore, but it was a, it was a, it wasn't as easy of a trail as I'd expected. Yeah. It's really hard to get into a flow, you know, like you would start moving, and then the terrain would change, and it would be enough of an uphill that you got to hike it, and then you'd be moving along, and then there's like a couple sections where it was this quick like zigzag between rocks and every time it was just like I'm, I'm walking this like there's it's not worth it and there was this one like little fin rock it, it stuck up like at a 45 degree angle and into the trail and you could walk by it every time and not touch it but I swear to God every lap I went by it I was like that thing's going to take out my shin that thing's <laughs> going to take out my shin every single fucking time I was like I hate that rock and I'd be going walking around it every time just because it was like, you know, it's it's too risky to try anything crazy. You're not racing the loops per se. So you just feel your rhythm. Everybody started getting their things. There's certain spots where everybody would walk. And then there's other spots where, you know, it was like Jonathan and I, we, we had done like a local one in prep. And, you know, you have your secret walk spots. Like, that's your walk spot. You know, other people might run through that, but that's your walk spot. And so you totally just, like, develop your own little rhythm. And that's super important because there's so many people. And you would get sucked into groups if you weren't careful. And then you would end up running somebody else's loop. Yeah. And, and that would start throwing you off because very, very quickly you start picking up, like, all right, when I get to the ankle brock or when I get to this or when I get to the – there's a mini canyon – and I knew that like 30, 31 minutes I hit that. And then 36 minutes I hit the, the, the turnaround from there. And I hit this and I had all these minute times, you know, where I was ahead or behind because you're not following it by mileage. You're just following like, these, you know, like natural things that you, I'm going to hit there. There were these weird orange roots and it looked like carrots and it was weird. And, you know, I wasn't hallucinating. That's what somebody else would call them too. You hit those and, and right there is at the bottom of the hill. And, you know, like, Should we okay. tell them about what we put in the ramen broth? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was 24 minutes. And you everything on the on the loop had its thing. And, and you know, it, you, you kept to your thing. And I, I think that's one of the secrets of, um, of the backyard style. And because so many of these other people had done them, everybody started falling into that rhythm, especially people who had won backyard events. Mm. You know, that you get into your own headspace and everything is this um, compartmentalized. You're just doing this. Like, I hit this at this time. I hit this at this time. I hit this at this time. And then you're like, okay, back. I'm back. 51, 52 minutes, I think it was more or less where I was coming in off of the trail. Yeah. Pretty much set your watch to it. But I, I, that brings up something that I'm curious about from yeah. your point of view. Because I know Thomas and I commented on it. We saw it. Everybody, for the most part, had their, their pattern. And we would, especially as, as you know, the day wore on, the hours passed by, you know, we started saying, you know, like we, it was almost like Groundhog Day. You know, Thomas and I would be sitting there and we'd be like, yeah, so-and-so should be rolling in now. And sure enough, here they'd come around the corner yep. and somebody else. But every now and then, somebody like, you know, Yami is a perfect example. They would shake it up. And it was, most of the time, it was fairly experienced folks that we would see do something just all of a sudden super weird. Did you notice that as a runner? Yeah, because every now and again, like you're doing your thing, and then all of, and you would know the people who were like right around you. It was so funny because I would pass. For example, there was one guy, and I, he told me his name, but I don't remember it right now. But I would pass him on the same hill every time. Like he would be out ahead of me, and then when we got to this one hill, 
I would pass him on the hill. Ned? Ned Ryerson? <laughs> <laughs> right? I want to say his name was Mark. But, you know, it was like every time you're like, oh, hey, how you doing? Fancy meeting you here. And you try to come up with some little, like, smart-ass comment each time, you know, and you would pass that guy on the same hill. So even out on the trail, you'd be like the first people to go back through the sh- starting loop and then the people who would pass you and then the people you right. would pass at different points and everything like that. And then all of a sudden you turn and there's like, the fuck are you doing here? Somebody's like, out of the rank. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. hey, 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 hey. I'm running here. What are you doing here? You're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be in front of me. You're supposed to be behind me. And then for a moment, for a brief moment, you, I would check my watch at like the next rock or whatever that I had marked and be like, nope, all right, I'm good. They're off. Yeah. Like, okay, whatever they're doing, they're doing. And you had to get out of that headspace. Like, the first quick. two or three people I think Thomas and I saw do this, we quickly noticed within a couple laps they dropped yeah i was like yeah. hmm. it was like we started calling it like the final surge like you would see this variation in their loop whether it most of the time i'd say it'd be a faster loop right this right. like urge to like because one of the things I, i'd say i noticed i'd i'd start picking up on some altered gait patterns in their in their stride and i'd be like well that's kind of weird that wasn't there before and then next loop huh well that was three minutes faster i'm like hmm i wonder if they're trying to shake that out and then sure enough it's like, wait, wait, they're gone? Oh, okay. Good. But then, like... Yeah, have Thomas doing movement analysis <laughs> while people are running by to the end. He's like, well, you know, Guillaume, uh, he's starting to favor that right knee. Or there's that other guy, Andres, who had the gigantic knee oh injury. Oh, my God, that right. guy blew my mind. Gigantic knee injury. His knee is ballooning up. And he's just purple, purple like on the lines back. going all down the back of his leg. They like, look like a bad infection. Like you couldn't tell the difference between his calf and his hamstring on the back of his leg. Like everything was yeah, just ballooning up. Yeah, it was just like, and I didn't notice it until Thomas was like, "Yeah, just watch his leg," you know, because Thomas is just watching everybody go by the tent, and I'm in my own little zone. I'm like, I don't give a fuck what is. Oh, oh wow, oh, ooh, oh, that looks bad. <laughs> and like, all right, glad that's not me. And then you get right back into your world. Uh, as far as the runner is concerned, mm-hmm. because it's such an interesting format because you have to be self-contained. You have to be self-contained. Yet, also at the same time, there's all these people around you doing the same exact thing. You know, like in a long, long race, like you can get totally self-contained, sure, in like a 100-miler, you know, because other people separate from you and you do your own thing. But it's also this weird system that you get back together every hour on the hour and you're all standing there together again. So there's this one guy, Dave Proctor, right? He had a, he was the Canadian cowboy. And early in the day, brother was throwing down like 35-minute trail loops. Now, he owns the Canadian records for 24 hours, 48 hours, 72 hours, and I believe six days as well. So this guy is just a machine. But I guess he was just getting bored or maybe he was trying to make a statement the first day. But he's throwing down like 35-minute laps on the trail. And then like coming in and sitting down and hanging out, feet up, you know, like la, 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 la. No so, big deal. I think yeah. I even saw him trim his mustache. Yeah, you know, he's over there just hanging he had, out. He had Nortec boots. So at night, right, yeah, he was yeah, those compression things, down yeah. and like staring across the way at other runners and just apparently, and apparently I heard from other runners them say that it, that was kind of he apparently was playing some mind games out on the trail because he would come out and be like oh man you know what I, I got like a 15 minute nap in or man oh those boots oh my my circulation's just rocking that felt so good <laughs> yep yep at the beginning of the loops yep because uh, I started in the 
fairly quickly, I would want to get back through the, the loop and I want to be no more than 10 people back because I didn't want any part of the groups, right. you know, because, uh, you know, so they would slow down in places that I didn't want to slow down or whatever. And yeah, oh yeah, he would, he would be standing in the starting corral, like talking, you yeah. know, about what he was doing and how good he felt, you know, he's like, yeah, I just had a full sandwich, uh, good thing we're moving again, I was getting a little stiff sitting there for so long, you know, that kind of thing. As as yeah, it was know, very they rocked the different shoes the whole entire time too. One yeah. on one foot, and yeah, one yeah, on the a other. Paradigm yeah. on one, and then a Torin, I think on the other. I know one. one was black and one was blue and white. Yeah, 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 completely different shoes. Like a punky Brewster's. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to check too. I was like, was he is he even switching that up or something? Like going one on one foot and then switching up. Which is interesting because they have different stack heights. So maybe naturally right. has one that's shorter we, than yeah. the other. Thomas and I had yeah. that discussion. We were like, yeah. why? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was style. (laughs) (laughs) Did it take you long to find your rhythm in the race? No, I mean, not really. As far as, like, we ran the loop the day before, and I knew exactly what that effort felt like. And when we had run it the day before, I felt like I was dictating the pace. And so the next day when I was doing it, I felt like the same exact pace all over again. So it was pretty easy fairly quickly to just, like, settle in, like, "This this is my groove. And, uh, and I knew that was going to be important um, to just, like, feel comfortable each loop. You know, I wanted to feel like I was doing a little bit of work. You know, some people were, like, holding way back early on. And I felt I tried to do that a little bit, and it, it just didn't work for me. It was just mildly frustrating at times because, you know, at least with my pacing, I could um, change up. Thomas and I had talked about this before and even during, you know, changing up my gait. You know, like, open it up when I could, do the quick tip-taps on the rocks when I could and, and that way it would be this I would have variety as opposed to getting sucked into the same exact movement patterns all day long on the trail you know and I had been fighting a, a this like niggle in my leg or it was all the way up to my hip and down my right side and, and I do have to say this like the first 12 hours definitely I did not feel comfortable per se like I was just I was waiting you know I was like every time we would come in Thomas was doing like leg work or I'd sit down and I would stretch out my leg and I'd do you know windshield wipers and I'd do this and I was trying to control what was happening because it had been so tight uh, leading up to that point and I just wanted to make sure that whatever I did lasted and so uh, it was mildly frustrating the first day in some ways because I just never felt comfortable I was just like I'm going to sit in my rhythm and that was going to be the thing that I had I that I had comfort for was my rhythm, whatever it was, because it just felt like I was stiff and I didn't feel like I was really moving. So I, I tried to settle into these are my times, this is this, and get myself out of the headspace of like what my legs were doing per se and, and just be like, all right, uh, I've done longer races recently. I did the Barkley Fall Classic and it felt like that for the first few hours and then it loosened up. And then, you know, it was like pre race traders, Thomas and I talked about, you know, some of it could be psychosomatic, like where your body holds stress. And, you know, like, this is the manifestation of it. Because, newsflash here, I was going to the world fucking championships for the last person standing. And I was stressed out. I was terribly stressed out. I have never been more stressed out in my life before a race. Because here was my concern. 
I'm going to show up to Laz's backyard, and then I'm going to shit the bed. Like, in Laz's... And he gave a long speech about, don't shit in my backyard. That's what he know? plays. And he was like, listen, the dogs will roll... That's what the rolling. buckets are for. Exactly, exactly. No, he had porta potties But he was like, don't shit out there. The dogs will find it and roll around in it. And I'm sitting there going, all I want to do is, is not make a fucking fool of myself on what I would consider, if you will, in the ultra world. And we talked a little bit of this on the way up. You know, for, for that weekend, for those of us in this game of ultra running... This was like the center of the universe. This is what everybody was paying attention to. Yeah, I may have made that point. Out. Thanks, buddy. I know. <laughs> which, which as crew, that was super fun for Thomas and I. If, if, seriously, for the listeners, if you ever get a chance to crew with these, I don't know about running it, but to crew one, it's it's like front row seats to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Plus, depending on who you're crewing, they are incredibly easy to fuck with. <laughs> Yeah, so, so was there some mind fuckery going on? In the, well, Thomas was pulling it on me on the way up. Yeah, going, hey, like, guys, hey, hey guys, way. let's sit in this moment. And he starts having like this, wants to have like a little meditative moment while we're driving down the fucking highway on the way to You're Tennessee. Stressing me you know, out. like, just let this sink in, right? Like, we're going to be at the very center of our like ultra running world. Like, that's where we're heading. And I'm driving going, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm already well aware of where I'm going to be. Like I have, sl- I have had, you know, interrupted sleep in the past for updates for Big's backyard. You know, like waiting for Laz's updates. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, go, oh, "Are they still going?" And I'm checking my phone. I'm like, I'm in the middle of class, and some kid's answering a question. I'm like, "Hold on, wait a second. Laz's update just posted." You know, and I'm just like checking this, and like I'm going to be part of that. Right. And the and, last thing you want is a pep talk from <laughs> from this guy. <laughs> By the way, just so you know, everyone is watching. Everyone is watching. Don't forget, everyone is watching. You know. Oh, in and last, they didn't get to watch. It'll still be there. That's later. right. And last, looks you right in the eye at the beginning of every lap, and then as you come back through, and gives you the look of you're fucked every <laughs> single time. He knows exactly what you're thinking. <laughs> right. And so, ah, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, so we're sitting there, and there's like, first of all, I fanboyed, if we want to go back to even before the beginning, when we're setting up, like right across the way is uh, Maggie Guterell, who, you know, is, did phenomenally the year before, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler alert, she ends up winning the whole goddamn thing, you know, and, and she's right across from us, and there's Amelia Boone, who's all over social media, and everybody knows, Liz Canty was in a tent right behind us, she's one, Pinhody, one, um, the Barkley Fall Classic. She's already got an auto entry into Barkley Marathons this year. Uh, you know, going around, you know, Guillaume is there, previous winner. Gavin Woody, who was one of the fi- Fab Four last year, is back again. And you're just like looking around and you're like, holy shit. And, and because of the international status, you're looking around knowing that you're probably looking at people that we have no idea who they are because they're from. You know, India or Ireland or you know they're big yeah. names where they're from. But there were like six or seven runners from Sweden alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all because the backyard were... format has taken off over yeah. there. Apparently, they do one every weekend. Apparently, apparently, no, it's seriously like it's. Yeah. They were they were insane. They had like Sweden rumming team and everything like that. They had matching shirts. And they were like flying down the trail. Like you'd be going along, and then all of a sudden, like the Swedish train, we would call them out there, and they would just like fly by you. And there was this one woman, happy as the fucking day is long, every loop. Like I love the rocks, and she's jumping over things oh, and Anna. just like doing. 
doing this, and she's just happy every single time. And the other two guys with her. She looked like she could fly down a trail. Right, no, and she wasn't. So it's just like these three pale blonde people. It would just like. (laughs) They would often race each other when they got into, like, you know, the. Where, where we all could see them, <laughs> and they were running up towards the corral, they would often just like get in this little race with yeah. the three of them, just oh, like smiling. sprinting and, in, and, and then around. jumping across the fjords and the what and the Indian dog and the Egan Vergen bargain and doing all this other shit. And then they'd be speaking in Swedish the entire time, so you had no idea what kind of mindfuckery they were doing. But you know, it was just like, oh God, who knows. But yeah, it was. Turns out they're really just happy people. <laughs> they're just happy people. You know, it's it's uh, you know universal health care. They could get all sorts of you know. Patrick stimulants. was more social though. I kept, that was my main job. Every time he came in, I yeah. would give him a new way to like win friends, <laughs> influence people. I said, hey, ask him this. I, I was giving him all kinds or of. Or plant new wor- like, like earworms. <laughs> oh yeah, also I was trying to you know music helps. It soothes the soul. Yeah. So I was trying to suggest various things for him to sing. Okay, but. Did you give him a sweet playlist for? <laughs> no, I just start singing to him. Okay. Hey, do you know this song? Right. <laughs> but the, but coming back to that, very early on in the event, like I think even the day before, a song popped into my head and would not go away. And I cannot even tell you the last time that I heard this song. But all of a sudden, it was like, my grandpa said to your grandpa, I'm going to set your flag on fire. Talking about, hey now, hey now, hey now, hey now, hey now. I go, I go on a, fina, on a, And I would, I would find myself saying that shit out loud. Like, as we got into the late night, mm-hmm. and then into the second day, I would just all of a sudden be going across rocks or down the road by myself, and I'm like, talking about, hey now, hey now, hey now. <clears throat> what? All right, moving right along. <laughs> and I'm awake. And I'm awake. All right, Chakamana uh, Finane. So, did your leg ever loosen up? After yeah, I mean, well, thankfully, in a sense, like the nighttime broke it up. Like, I started the first night loop and I had on my trail shoes and, and they made too much noise. Like, everything starts to get, and, and you know this after racing a long time, like that little thing on your pack that was making a noise earlier in the day, <laughs> that little tiny noise. All of a sudden becomes the loudest noise in the entire universe. And you're like, just rip it off! You know, you're like tearing your pack apart to get something to stop making noise. Like, you left bubbles in my pa- in my bladder! You know, oh, whatever. Right. So I go out on the road and my speed goats, which were amazing, my speed goat threes, I, I love them to death. They were super grippy and perfect. And I go out on the road and, sticky. It, and it was... A, I was like, oh, that shit's not going to happen. Like, we can't do that. And I came in off of the uh, road, and so I was like, 46 minutes? Was you, that? Yeah, yeah, you came in quick. That you, way. along with most people, sped up fairly significantly by, yeah, by yeah. four to eight minutes yeah. on the road laps. Yeah, so as soon as we hit the road, it was But just we like, talked about banking sometime because we yeah. were going to be switching shoes. Yeah, I had to switch shoes because yeah. I was going to do that. And, uh, I, 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 I think we switched the layer. I think we, yeah. Well, yeah, you changed. I think, I think it yeah. did that and it puts like some trail toes on. Or no, not trail toes. What was it? The squirrel nut butter right. foot stuff or whatever? Yep. And happy so we toes. Had a, happy toes. And so we, we did that and I put on... And I, I really should have gotten some new road shoes and I had just brought along a pair of old road shoes that had like no tread left on the bottom. There were some yeah, Hoka Mach 2s. When I set them out, threes. I was like, whoa, these are pretty worn. <laughs> but the thing was, as soon as we went out on the road, it was quiet. And I didn't give a shit about how they felt, uh-huh. but they were quiet. 
And at first, because your foot has to, you know, like readapt, like re, you know, it had a certain stack height and it had a certain feel and it had a certain arch support in one shoe versus another and a little extra room. So the first lap out on those road shoes, I started thinking, like I started having these feelings in one foot and the other that I didn't have before and like other muscles started to light up. Those feelings are usually pain. Most people call them pain. (laughs) They're pain, just so we're clear. Yeah, so I had these feelings and uh then you vlogged about them (laughs) (laughs) yeah keep in mind because when you start the road loop yeah you vlog 50 miles of the trail yeah it's it's every 12 hours 50 miles every 24 hours 100 miles so yeah it's so i'm 50 miles in and i change up surface and shoes and everything like that and i go out and i was like fuck i made a mistake you know and then the out and back on the road was another thing that would just mess with you because you just go out on this straight ass road it turns left like the road, you don't have a choice. Straight ass road, you turn left, you go to the turnaround point, and you come back, and it's just like, there's an L. nothing out there. There's one trailer that had like a white pickup truck outside of it and a halogens like street lamp, and it was like this orangey amber kind of thing. So it wasn't halogen, whatever that is. And it's up there. And Mercury it, vapor. There it is. And it's like... Looks like a murder cabin, you know. If a, if a murder cabin was a trailer, that was the only thing you saw on the, on that damn road. That was of any kind of like, oh, humanity is out here, but you don't want to stop there. Right. And so you just go. <laughs> it's scary. Keep right. on going. Keep going past that light, you know. Yeah. Don't look at the light, Sarah Ann. You know, and you're just going out and back, out and back. So I come back in, and you know, we go back out, and after a while, you, you see everybody, right? Yeah. So you go out, and you already see like the people who are doing fast road loops. And then when you turn around, then you see everybody else. And this is the thing about Biggs. By the time at Death at Dupuy, when we got down to the nighttime, there was only like five of us. And as soon as you hit a, a you know, 100K, 62 miles, it was, it, boom, it was down to the three of us. And it was me, and it was Eddie, and, and Kevin, and we ran the whole night together, just the three of us. You get to that turnaround point, and you're just like, I just logged 100K. And you turn around and like, one, two, three, four, five, fuck me. And you just stop counting because there's so many headlights still coming at you. And you've already counted, you know, eight people who've run back. And you're like, we're all in this, like, it's, it's going. Yeah. And we had talked about this before. Biggs is the only place, I think, where doing a sub-24-hour 100-miler is mediocre at best. Right. Like, that's just, like, entry level. I would say it's above average still. Like, below average still. Right, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because you still had more than half of the total crowd of the 72 people. I think 52 people. I I may have made that up. But I think around 52 people made 100 hours. Yeah. So, which is, by default, a sub-24, 100 mile. Right, and you had to do every lap in sub-time... So if you cumulatively, and Mike Melton had that whole thing of like what your cumulative yeah. running time was and what your cumulative rest time was. That was kind of a nice little stat. It was interesting inter- to study. To, it's to interesting, right? Yeah. You know, but if, if on the average we were taking most people, if we say the average was seven minutes, whatever, seven minutes on the trail and like 10 minutes on the road, you know, so everybody out there is running, you know, 21 hour 100K by the time it's, or 100 miler rather. 21 hour 100 miler and that's a below average kind of stat like it's like okay well you know we still got 50 plus people who are doing this but not a fairness it is those 
strategically using that downtime right. that no, allows course. you to No, and then you know, and then you get into the argument out. like, okay, time on feet versus time off feet right. and there's and you know, Mike Dobbies, who was one of the, the timers, who's like a, a Barkley legend. Uh, and then uh, Mike Melton was there, so there's good Mike and bad Mike, and Mike Melton is the good Mike and Mike Dobbies is the bad Mike. And bad Mike puts like stats out later. And there was like, you know, like a graph that showed years past, like how many people made to this and then when did it drop off to the final four. And this year blew every other year out of the water. So there was definitely this air, like these, you know, we were talking about of like, this is the world championship. Like, which validated. Yeah. You know, everybody's saying, you know, oh, this is, because there was, you know, several people pointed out that the, the two people that ran the longest last year, you know, Johan Steen and Courtney DeWalter. They were both away at the 24-hour running championships. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know. But the, the field assembled was still the most talented field that they had seen. And that I think that graph validated that. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. Right. And so I was trying not to think about those things while I'm out there. But the night loops made it really hard because on the trail, you didn't see everybody else. Like you got into your little groove and there was nobody there. But on the road, every lap you are reminded of how many people are out there and how many people are not dropping and how many people are still going and how many people look exactly the same that they did an hour ago, two hours ago, three hours, six hours, ten hours ago, and you're just like going through the night into that. So I hated the road. I hated the road. And it was not because, you know, first, you know, it was like, oh, okay, because you're doing this very repetitive movement and there was no like changing up or anything. But the mind of the road was way worse than the trail. Because you you see all these people that you still have to fight through to right. get to the top or, of the mountain. Exactly. And you're you're like running your pace, and then all of a sudden you're coming up on Guillaume, right? Who's like, every lap it seemed like he was holding court, right? There was like six people running abreast. And it was like this line, and then a few people right behind Guillaume, like mile two of, not even, like mile one, one and a quarter of the lap, Right. And you'd come up and like my pace was that I would be catching up to them and then I would pass them. So every time I would have to be like, hey, buddies, excuse me. And I would have to like squeeze through the line of people as Guillaume is like spinning a yarn and telling this story. And this guy's talking about UTMB and he's talking about this time. And, you know, it's this and it's that. And he's like, so I have some good news and I have some bad news. You know, and the good news is I feel as good as I did at this point last year. The bad news for all of you, I feel as good as I did at this point last year. You know, and he's like, I'm like, I don't fucking care. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to run past this. So he's playing all sorts of mind games. And then there was like this hesitation. You know what I started thinking of it as? You know when you're driving down the highway and there's a, there's a highway patrol officer <laughs> like in the, in the lane yeah. and yeah. nobody wants to pass the cop, right? Even though you know, like, the flow of traffic, like, you'd be perfectly fine to pass the cop. And the cop is just sitting there, and you're just like, everybody's hesitant about I felt exactly like that. I felt like he was a state trooper, and I, you know, every time I'd be like, uh, okay, I'm just going to go on by. But I would always Please find myself. Yeah, exactly. I would find myself, like, hesitating each time to go by him because, you know, they would take his walk breaks. And, like, other people were running, you know, in, in a sense, like, Guillaume's pacing because he's a former champion. So he must know. Right. So people would follow Guillaume's pacing, and it was uh, it was wild. I hated the night loops. I hated them so much. Oh my god, I hated the night loops. How did you utilize your downtime? Um, he complained a lot. 
<laughs> Where's this? <coughs> I, I don't know. What? It's, it's your job as crew. Get it. <laughs> what, what, give me a hint. Which bags is in? What? Have you not been through all my bags? Just yeah, so we're clear, that is a completely fabricated <laughs> fake news. That I don't know. Not, that may have been when I was sleeping. That, was, that did not happen. That did not happen. Where's my sunscreen? Delirium. Uh, I don't know. Where'd you put it? It's in the, the truck. Runners. Did you guys not bring it from the truck? Didn't know where you're supposed to. <laughs> Okay, the sunscreen did happen. <laughs> the sunscreen did happen. That's okay, true. Okay, there was that one thing. <laughs> there was the one thing, but it was not anything else. I think when I came in, we had talked a lot about like what I was going to need and what I was going to do, and these guys were absolutely world freaking. You were actually pretty quiet. In, in all yeah, seriousness, you know, because we were we were so stylish. Way yeah. quieter than I've ever seen Patrick. Yeah, I was doing work, man. It was like from the beginning, and you know, I've come in and and more than once, these two guys anticipated like what I was going to do. So. One of the things that I had at, like, Death at Dupuy was bacon, right? And we had joked, and I had bought bacon and everything like that. I was like, you guys, you better cook bacon. And, uh, you know, and I was out, and it was like, you know, the third day loop or something like that. And all of a sudden, I come in, and, and wafting up the hill is this smell of fresh-cooked bacon. We tried to time it when everybody else was coming in, too. <laughs> <laughs> right? So then everybody else had to run past our tent with the fresh-cooked bacon. And I come running in, and I look, and Jonathan was standing there and he had like bacon in a pan and he was like cooking it up he might have had like a damn apron on <laughs> and like 50s housewife with a martini and bacon in a hand and it was just like nothing else oh uh, exactly and i was ready to fucking propose his so I hair come in. was up <laughs> <laughs> so i come in and you know they lay down like uh, one of the yoga mats and i start doing my movement and thomas just takes the plate of bacon and like puts it right in front of my face as i'm like leaning down and stretching then i'm just like putting bacon in my face as I'm doing like the stretches that I'm supposed to do and that was absolutely perfect and then later on it was like one loop and I was like damn it we forgot something on our, our shopping list because I had talked about getting the cup of noodles so I could carry the cup with me when I went out on the, the night loops because I knew there was ramen in like my food stuff but I hadn't grabbed the cup of noodles these guys improvised and figured it out and I came in on one loop because that was like during the day and then hours later, I had completely just like, it wasn't even part of my thought process. But as soon as they felt the temperature start to drop. You got some rain. It and there was a little, little bit, bit of rain. When you complained one loop, you, you were like, ah, oh, I just, I want something with some substance. And mm. you like reached for like the Pop-Tarts or, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or something like that. Because I'd been eating like the light stuff for a while. Right. And, I, and I was like, ah, oh, I just need something to fill up my belly. You know, you get that little like sugar belly type feeling and you want something in there. I come back in the next time. Jonathan's sitting there and he's got the... You know, the ramen, they've broken up the pack of ramen into like fours and divvied it up. And they're just like, we'll make each one of these for each loops you want. Is this enough? And I was just like, this is fucking amazing. I guess. We found a styrofoam cup in the ditch while walking back. Yeah, <laughs> so The hot water sanitized it pee. plenty. Oh, wait. I thought it was pee. I thought that cleans everything. I'll let There's no fucking water in Big Spec Yards. Listen, as long as you're drinking somebody else's pee, it's the, fine. The, you bata- can't drink the your Battelles own. may have helped out with their <laughs> styrofoam cups. So right. shout out to them. Shout out to the Battelles who are right next to us. So yeah, we had a we had a strong Florida contingency there. You know, it was like right next to us was uh, Cole and Aaron, and uh, and then just across the way was Sean and Andy. You know, from Gainesville. And Cole's down from Orlando. It was fun to see like a bunch of people that, that I knew anyway. But yeah, it was. You know, these guys were just so on top of things, and each time, I didn't have to think so much. 
like I could come in and maybe I had like a specific request. Like, you know, I'd come in because I, I, I'd been thinking on this loop, like, hey, I need blank. Um, but a lot of times I'd like to think that I, I gave like a heads up, like, hey, you know, maybe next loop, can I have blank? Or I'm going to need such and such. Uh, you know, and a few times I was like, hey, where's, you know, it's like the BCAAs or something like that. And they're like, what? I was like, it's in the red bag, you know. And, and I knew where it was and, you know, because I just had this wild craving or need or thought or placebo effect. I want to take X, Y, or Z on this one. Okay. But, uh, and then these guys switched up to night loops and they were like, all right, Jonathan was like, well, I'm taking the first shift and then Thomas is going to be up later. And, you know, they were keeping me abreast so that I wasn't like surprised when I came in. Like, you know, where's Jonathan? You know, which, which, what are you? <laughs> Who are you? Um, you know, and they, they totally had a plan. We had a plan like in the night loops because it, it, you know, at first that night loop, it, it had been raining like this drizzle and the temp dropped fast. And we were thinking like, oh God, night's going to be terrible. And then, thankfully, it, like, mellowed out, and it just yeah. stayed at the same temp for the rest of the night. And so, I would have a, a zero-gravity chair that I had, and I would come in, and we had the, this old Coleman sleeping bag completely unzipped. And these guys would have it, like, draped uh, uh, across the chair so that when I sat down, they would just take it and throw it over my whole body. So then I could just, like, hunch over, and I could take, you know, whatever food or anything and, and try and keep as much body warmth in me as possible. Uh, while I was sitting there and then uh, yeah so I mean I didn't have to think it was like you know I'd come in and then they would ask me like hey what do you want and I, I settled on like a 50-50 mix of um, goo roctane uh, drink and water and we just stuck with that like after some experimenting throughout the day with a little bit more roctane a little bit more water settled on 50-50 was perfect they would give me some uh, pre-torn pre, uh, uh, Slim Jims and put those in those, little pockets. Those little fuckers are... They sucked open. <laughs> right. So if I was trying... Because a couple times I took them out with me and then I was in there trying to open them up and I couldn't open them at all. I'm like... Oh, no. <laughs> my hands don't work. My yeah. hands don't work. And so then they would like pre-tear them for me. So when I was out on the on the loop, I would, you know, have Slim Jim's D pops out on the We'd loop. already decided if he had made it to another night, we were going to start pre-chewing them. <laughs> <laughs> Just be baby birded. Yeah. Taking, taking a, you know, uh, experience from Jonathan's birding and everything like no, that. No, actually, you know? one of the times... The ramen broth wasn't salty enough, and we added the Slim Jims. Yep. That's so, right. Yes, yep. I forgot about that. <laughs> so I was like breaking up a piece of Slim Jim and putting it in there because you know they they had tried to divvy out the little flavor packet to four different right. servings, and the one was like oh, it doesn't have enough. And then I looked at a Slim Jim. And I was like, just give me the Slim Jim. And so I started breaking up the Slim Jim and dropping like, it into oh, the perfect. Which in that moment in time, he may not have been last man standing, but he was happiest man on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because it filled up with the flavor of Slim Jim, and uh, and then I had more substance of what I was eating because I'd get a little chunk of Slim Jim in there with the ramen noodles. Oh, nice. fan fucking tastic. I need to do that more. That's going to be like a staple. I'm going to start like putting Slim Jims in my ramen. It'd be interesting to try that. Like just you. Like <laughs> right, right now. Right now. You know, like, oh. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> oh, oh, so what put is... a crane ramen and you're like, can I get some extra Slim Jims? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind, I brought my own. Yeah. Now listen, guys. If you guys really want to go full hipster, you've got to have PBR and then ramen with Slim Jims. I'm just saying that it's going to be the next trend. I'm just... Oh. All you guys out there, it's, you know, processed meat stuff, all right? Yeah. Tell yourself it's vegan. 
That's probably not even beef in there. <laughs> it's exactly. It's, <laughs> that's not. Who knows what's in there? But, but it is gluten free. Yeah. <laughs> it was gluten free. That's true. You know, the ramen noodles. The ramen wasn't. That's right. So, at what point uh, did you start seeing some casualties? The, uh, the the second day on the trail is all of a sudden. You know, you know, it was very very slow drop offs throughout the first day, and then the night. You know, people were hanging on, but it seemed to me during the first few trail loops on the second day, once people hit a hundred miles, yeah, because that's such a big mental thing. You know, like to make it to a hundred miles, because near the end of the night, you can just be like, I can hang on, I can hang on, I can hang on. And then your legs have been doing that repetitive movement all night long, and you have 100 miles on them, and now you go back to the trail. I think the 28th hour was the biggest drop hour. For One of the mics had, uh, yeah, it was between like uh, mile 112 and like mile 140 is where you had the most drop-offs. Yep. Yeah, like you get that like surge, like you'd have the people that would surge for the first trail loop, right? They'd be like, yes, 100 miles, and they'd be good. But then that next loop there was a big drop off and then there was like maybe one or two more loops and then so it was like after the energy of that first surge of the morning came and then it just dropped again and for yeah. so many people probably patrick included you know patrick at least had had a death of Dupuy experience well past the 100 mile mark yeah. so you saw a lot of folks that had up to 100 miles you know they were able to throw together a couple more loops and then you started seeing a lot of drops but as people i think moved much near uncharted territory. The, that's when they pass their normal time on feet. Right, and that's when you really start noticing, like, okay, these other people are here, you know. So on that second day, I ran a couple of loops because once again, it just worked out that way. But I ran a couple of loops with Gavin Woody. I ran a night loop or two with him, and we were sitting there chatting, and you know, and he was one of the final four the year before, and um, and then he was running with Maggie, uh, you know, and she was there. And so I ended up running along with them. And, and it, once again, like, there was this mind fuckery for me because who am I, right? But this, like, you know, high school teacher from Gainesville, Florida. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. And I really, really fucking struggled with that a lot. You know, and now I'm sitting there, like, rubbing elbows with Maggie and, and Gavin and, and, like, you know. Ultra Gion, royalty. Royalty. And, and, you know, and they're sitting there and, and Maggie. Oh. I don't think it's come out in any podcast or anything else like that, but Maggie was already like throwing out some mental games when she was running with Gavin. She was, I remember vividly at one point, she was like, you know, I keep forgetting when I come back in to ask what the weather forecast for tomorrow is going to be like, you know? So she was, she was like talking up like, yeah, you know, today's, it looks like the rain's going to hold up, but I got to remember, you know, when I go back in, I got to remember to ask about, you know, what the weather forecast tomorrow and the next day is going to be like. From, from listening to a lot of, of post Biggs podcasts with her and interviews, how much of that was gamemanship versus how much I think she had actually gotten into even her head. It was yeah. both. Said, she you know, it's absolutely both. Right? Yeah. So I think, you know. No, it's both. Some of the stuff she was saying, the way she was able to sell it. Yeah. Is she had like convinced herself. She sold herself it to herself that, already. <laughs> I, I heard one podcast with her where she was saying that at one time, you know, when, when it got down to just, you know, two people, she was going around to other people that already dropped. I was like, hey, you know, help, help out. You know, make sure, like, we got to go further. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, there was a rebound, and she was like, "Oh, what have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, you know, she also, I think, and I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm you know, hypothesizing here, 
But I think she really wanted to win, but she also wanted, since, you know, as a woman, she didn't want it to be a number that wasn't respectable. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so when it got down to just her and and, um, Will, she wanted him to keep going and to get that bigger number so that people people wouldn't sit there and go, oh, it was a soft year. They only made it to X, Y, or Z, you know? Because if it was like 52 hours, like, well, you know, Guillaume made it farther than that before. Yeah. And, you know, oh, and if, you know. Um, it was only 200 miles. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, or if, um, uh, you know, if Harvey Lewis had been there, if Courtney had been there, they could go. So she wanted, I, I'm just guessing. <laughs> no, totally. You know, totally. she wanted it to be legitimized and it to be legitimate. Like where other people were like, oh, yeah, that was some. That was some shit right let's, there. Let's work still. So. Yeah, yeah. But, but it does it. go back to, you know, even if you are kind of being a gamesman, if you do one of the, I mean, the point is, she was locked in. Mm-hmm. And she was, you know, oh, willing yeah. to, you know, like, think about it. I'm thinking about myself. I would always be like, oh, okay, there's one less. There's one less. You know, it's, forget legitimate. You know, I want to win. Yep. And, you know, if that's it, 14 miles, awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? It was, but she wanted, once again, because everybody had been talking about those ideas of, right. you know, who's going to win and how are they going to do it, she wanted to make sure that it was definitive. You know, and to hit that 60-hour mark, she knew she needed somebody else. Once again, the assist. you got to have the assist. And that is the other thing that I think is going through, not just as competitors, as crew, yep. as the people doing the timing, putting on the race. So much of it is actually just watching the event unfold and... I know Thomas and I had several conversations. We had a little bit of time to talk. <laughs> and one of the things that kept coming back was, you know, just talking about, you know, how insane, like, you know, what we were actually witnessing as far as human endurance, as far as, you know, just what we saw. There was one guy that I wished I knew his name, but he stayed in for probably a hundred and... The, the older guy? That came in at pretty much with a minute left. Oh. I mean, he beat me. Every he stayed in longer than me. Yeah. Time. They were I pouring think he would, like insure down his throat. He was doing that the, for at least twenty four hours. He right. went somewhere between like one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy miles, somewhere around there. But he was on his feet the entire time. We're talking at best. He might have came in with two minutes to spare. Yeah. But he never came in. The whistle had always first always, lap. Always, always, always. The whistle had always blown. And Thomas and I both were like. Man, can you imagine? I mean, just being in the woods for an Something hour, about two her hours. reminded me of Keith Walker. 24, <laughs> 34, you know, what in, in the world? You know, I would be, like, I wouldn't have had any fingernails oh, left. I, I was like, it, dude, I'm not, I'm not crewing for you again. Like, this yeah, is too stressful. He was last every for you. single time <laughs> and, and then went back out. Kept going. Went over, back out. Like, over, the crew would be over. in there. Laz would be like, 30 seconds. And his crew's like, shifting out the bottles in his vest. And one guy is like, you want to talk like true Indianapolis, like, crew? <laughs> one person is holding a, a bottle of Ensure, like, chugging it down his throat. Another person is like, switching out the bottles in his vest and putting food in his vest and, and calories. And then, uh, like, and ding, ding. And they would jump out of the, the uh, starting corral. And he would go off by himself, just like, boom, every single time. And I was just like... Every time, as a competitor, every time, we would, like, make room. Those of us who started getting in there because we knew he would start coming in. And every time, we're like, well, he's not going to make it. Here he comes. There he is. Okay. (laughs) And then next time, it's like, oh, this has got to be a... Okay, there he is. is Even though there was that air of seriousness, you know, everybody... There was still this, this 
side air of just awe, respect. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. knew, like, who, into, even when people were dropping out, they had already seen, especially the runners, you know, people that were paying attention had seen what individuals had gone through to make it to where they had gone. So that was what was really kind of special, I think, about this event is just watching some of these folks. So even as a competitor, you, know, you did have this almost, you know, affinity towards, you know, your You're other fellow competitors. Keeping up. Oh, it, it has the potential to be a great spectator sport. You are invested as a runner out there. You, once again, like I could say that I get really into this, um, you know, this tree or this uh, whatever that was out there on the course, and that was like my mile marker, but there was also like the people. And so then when one of those people would would disappear, it's like something your like course species just, going your extinct. Your course just changed. <laughs> you know, like your experience just changed because of the. That well, person you just passed every single time on that. Yeah, exactly. No there. And when he dropped, I noticed. Right. I absolutely noticed. And it was just like, he's not here anymore. And you're just out there. And I love that analogy. Like you're, you're just you're creeping toward extinction. I bet his name was Mark because I, I do remember hearing the mics talk about marks didn't fare. Apparently, there was three or four marks in. This yeah, year. yeah, yeah. None of the marks felt fared well. Mike. Well, there was Mark Hagney, who was the Irish guy. Who I went out with on a few loops and we had a good chat as we were out there talking about this or that. He was the one talking about me online when I was down at Death at Dupuy and he was saying, All of Ireland is awake tonight. There won't be a single cow that'll be milked in the entire county of Derry of Mayo this evening because we're all out here paying attention to Patrick Gallagher, our long lost cousin who's out there running at Death at Dupuy in the middle of the swamp in Florida. Just so you know, all of Ireland is, is behind you right now and all of this other stuff. And Ashley was like giving me, because he was like six, eight hours or whatever the fuck ahead of us. But unfortunately, so Patrick like, used that same accent talking to him. At Biggs, so he really like cut loose. And Patrick's like, dude, I'm not really, you know, I, I don't understand anything you're saying. <laughs> you have to slow down. So I told Thomas this at some point because I was out on the course, and finally, us he came up behind me. I heard the Irish accent. I was like, Mark, hey, Nagney, Hagney back there, and he's like, who's that? And I was like, it's cousin Patrick Gallagher, Patrick Gallagher. I was wondering when I'd find you out here. And he spit up a bit. Fucking hell, it's been a whole long day since I've been wondering how many other people from the old Irish Isle are out here in the Emerald And he starts going on about this down the other thing. And he's out at Ian Wild. And he started about Brexit. And then it's in Ireland. And the Northern. And then it's the Northern. And I'm like, all right, I don't understand a fucking word you just said. I'll go along with it. So Thomas tells me that later, after he had dropped, he's sitting by the fire. And he, he was mellowing out in his accent, like talking to everybody, and everybody understood. And then I walk up to the fire to warm up. How do you fucking, how do you fucking, and he drops into this. And Thomas is like, I didn't understand a fucking word he said while you were standing there. Like, he was just, he felt comfortable just like, slipping into the brogue with me. But there were several laughs when I was running with him. We had amazing conversations, at least he did. I have no idea what It's a beautiful accent. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely fucking crack song that we had out there is fucking amazing. Every Every single time. He's in Ireland right now. See, that Patrick Gallagher, he's a great listener. <laughs> talk about a conversationalist. I'm just telling you right now. You talk about people in America can't have a good conversation. But that Patrick Gallagher, fucking hell. I mean, hours and hours and hours of conversation. It was amazing. Passed the entire day with him and into the night. Absolutely fantastic. Didn't even realize how far we were running together. Absolutely amazing bloke. Swear to God, run again with him anytime. <laughs> So, how are things? 
Sorry. So how were things back at back at camp with you guys? What was your sort of vantage point with, with everything going on? Oh, oh God. <laughs> Where are we at this point? <laughs> so I'm really curious. Who like, are you people? You know what? This is a great question. I, I really want to know, like, what was... You know, I have definitely a rose-colored glasses version of what, like, I was going through and, like, what I was doing and how I was doing it. But I have been curious because we really haven't had a chance to send out right, right. the three of us and really, like, debrief and talk about it. And, like, you knew some of the concerns that I had going into it. You knew my anxieties, my stresses, and, and you, know, you had known about that. And, you know, and once again, besides Thomas's comment of, like, we're going to be at the center of the universe, at one point I was like, God, I'm so fucking stressed out. Jonathan's like, I know, man. I wouldn't even be able to do that. I, I would have fucking lost my mind, like, leading into this. I have no idea how the fuck you're doing it. You know, still be on the bucket. They were, they were very, they were very helpful uh, as far as the mental prep, and so I'm, <laughs> which which was great. <laughs> we it spent the night before in Chattanooga, and we were just like, you know, it was. <laughs> I was like, thanks, guys. Um, thanks for the pep talk. Now, now that you mentioned because we weren't going angels. to, but yeah, you're fucked. <laughs> so glad you brought it up, just so you know. When you fucking shit the bed, it won't be your crew's fault. You was already predestined that you weren't right. going to make it. Good Thomas job. and I are here for you. We know what to do. We hope you stay in it really long because we... I mean, we want to watch everybody else. Was, I mean, you don't got a stuck fucking and chance. You, I mean, it was. It was it's it's kind of like... I don't know. So tell me about like this whole process for you guys, like watching what I was doing, because you would see these little moments. It wasn't like, just you watching to, the whole thing right, exactly. unfold. We right. went through everything from, you know, when it, when it kicked off. I remember looking at Thomas like your first lap. You know, we were all excited. There was energy. The runners go out. They did their little half mile. They came back. We cheered, and then they were gone for like three and a half miles. And I looked at Thomas and I was like. Dude, I'm about to crawl out of my skin because I'm so jacked. You know, the start of a race, you know, I was watching Patrick get geared up and I'm sitting there in like flip-flops and a hoodie. I'm like, so I was was a little freaked out about that. And then I'm just like, we got to pace ourselves. You know, we can't. So I just went over, I got in the chair, I kicked back. And Thomas was like, what are you doing? You know, I was like, dude, I'm starting to happen now. (laughs) You were, you were like a cat. Like all day. That, that's what I told him. I was like, I, I'm not going to get excited until like tonight. I'll be, I'll get more into it, and then tomorrow. Tomorrow is when you know I'll start really. But I, I, I literally treated it like a sick day. You know, I tried to just lounge and like you know keep my heart rate down and just you know, and it probably came through a little bit because I was trying not to get excited and like because I knew that you know this had the potential. We didn't know what it had the potential, right. to get. but. We did want to, and Thomas and I talked about it, you know, we didn't want to go full bore for the first eight hours and then both of us be in the tent asleep because we were like, dude, yeah, we're out. <laughs> Start drinking we gave too everything early. too early. So we tried to really just kind of, you know, go pretty pretty even kill. So that, that was the whole first 24 hours for us was just trying to pull back on the reins. Yeah. Trying to, like, anticipate, like, watch, figure out what was going on. And we took, we took two four-hour blocks in the night to sleep. Where we traded off. One right. of us would sleep I slept and the other first person from like. I think you went in like. Or is that 11? I think it was 11. Okay, it was like 11 till 3 or 4. Yeah, I think I let you go an extra hour just because I was fine. Right. And then. But yeah, you still got the cowbell and the whistle going right. on. Right. But it was. I mean, again, I had my chair. I had this. 
I had my own sleeping bag and I had my, my timer. And it was pretty amazing, like not running. You can sleep really, really well for 15 to 30 minute blocks. So yeah. I would get Patrick out on the loop and then I would kind of do some clean work. I'd remember what you know he had said and I'd get that prepped. And then I would hop in the chair, I'd look, because I kind of knew when he was coming in. And I'd look at my clock, and I'd be like, okay, I have 15 minutes, or I have 30 minutes sometimes. I'd set the timer, and I'd go out. And I'd always make sure I was up about five or ten minutes before I expected him to come in, because especially through the night, we were pretty much regularly doing ramen. So we always wanted to have hot water. But we wanted it to be, you know, boiled, but then cool enough where he could, like, come in and just instantly start going on it. So it was, you know, we were kind of dialing that in. You know, I, I don't even think I... I think I drank, like, one cup of coffee, like, the first morning. And then I didn't drink any more coffee for you. or anything. <laughs> it, was it was super good. low. Our, like, mornings were almost identical on Saturday and Sunday morning. Like, we had coffee at the, the one hour. Yep. Like, I'd woken up, or you'd woken up after your shift. And we'd made had, us coffee. You'd made us coffee in the pour-over. And, like, we'd sat and, like, sat and drank on that, and he came through... Um, I think he was off his ramen by then, and he yep. was back on pop tarts. Um, yeah, and then we then after that is when we did a couple rounds of bacon again. Luckily, he didn't get back on Star Crunch because we put a hurting on those. Nutter <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you talking about lounging like, hey, around? You haven't, you haven't seen him eat any of those nutter butters, right? <laughs> That's yeah. We're, tell it that, that was that was really kind of our strategy. Is I was like, I don't want to eat anything that I, I'm pretty sure he's going to eat on like the second or third day. But I know he's not a sweets guy. <laughs> and we had our own food, but it always looks better what somebody else has. Yeah. Yeah. So like, we kind of like, huh. My container of food. So, but, so that's amazing. Like, you know, I had a feel of like you guys had these whole things like going on. So what was your perception of my progression, if we, you will, through like the, the first day? Progression or regression? It, all of the above. Because well, I don't I'm think there was much. Miles, no, there the, was the, much. There the, was no regression. Either. No, the first day you, you were, you were clockwork. Like you said, you came in feeling little, little niggles here and there. Like you do your movements. You were just kind of establishing this flow, and like it, you could feel it. Like you, you did. You'd come in, like you, even had this certain cadence about yourself. Um, every time you came in, you know, it took you the same exact amount of time to take off your vest and put this, on, or not your vest because you were doing your handheld and stuff. But like, yeah, it just you had this certain rhythm about yourself. No, pretty much. You know, up until it's got cold, and then you've, you know, we started doing that a little bit different in the the chair, um, and then things got I, things got a little bit more real towards the like towards the next day in the heat. But even then, you know, and you and I didn't really talk about it. It wasn't a plan. But we, even when you were going out on your loops, Thomas and I weren't chatty Cathy's. Like we tried to keep everything low key, partly because. We didn't want to be all wound up when you came in and be like, hey, how was it? Who'd you talk to? What went on? Hey, what do you want? You want some food? You want this? You know, we didn't want to... We let you dictate what was going on. Which is really weird for both of us. I mean, being pretty social and, you know, me especially. Like, I I was trying really hard not to talk. (laughs) And I think I succeeded pretty... So I got this whole kind of like... And I I kept telling Thomas I was just going to be a cat. David and... They're actually related... Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, this is my daughter, Colin, uh, not Colleen's my sister. And my daughter, Eliana, here in the middle of the podcast, <laughs> asking about Schitt's Creek. What's that? Huh? 
Did you know that they're related? Yeah, it's a father and son. Yeah, and did you know that Twyla is a sister? Yes. I didn't know that. Well, now you did. All right. All right. Glad we cleared that up. Yeah. Hello. Hi. Hello, world. Hi. So, just to clear up, there's an entire family on Schitt's Creek on the TV show. It is the father, Daniel, and, and uh, <laughs> Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy, and then their sister is Twyla in, in Schitt's Creek. <laughs> no, I just have to die. In real life. In real life, yeah, they're related in real life. But yeah, it was it was one of those weird things where you know usually you think about you think about any cop even endurance, but any type of athletic event, you know, you get more of the especially the super fans, which I think Thomas and I were sitting there watching everything oh, go yeah. down. You think about you know people up and yelling, woo, you know. And, that's not like this event because there is no end. Yeah. Everybody, spectators included, are kind of on that kind of, you know, all right, let's just pace ourselves. Let's see what's happening. But that said, it was fairly amazing how much you could cue into like your own runner, other people. Like we started calling people, they got one more lap. Boom. They had it. And I even called like when Patrick came in. Yeah. What ultimately was two laps. I told Thomas when he went back out, I was like, he's getting close. And Thomas was like, what are you talking about? He looked fine. And I was like, I can see his eyes. He's getting close. And the next one you came in and you kind of verbalized it. Because I, I told Thomas, yep. I was like, if you want to try and talk him out of something, next lap's going to be the time. And you came in and that's when you said, you know, I hurt. Yeah. And it, I, I tried to say something like. for three loops, like things starting to hurt like the first one you were talking about things starting to hurt and I was like well yeah we're kind of like no shit dude you <laughs> yeah. just ran like you know they should for 130 something miles here at that point. is hurting right now I started saying everything hurts yeah yeah it was no longer I, I think during the first day I was always very specific like I have this in my leg or I need you to work on this I think our as response as, like, was stuff, so like, what you know, what do you need this, you know how I could this. tell when Jonathan and I first started to notice that things were not right with you we started worrying about you checking your phone like I was like maybe we should be screening his phone calls yeah <laughs> I don't want these little earworms to be getting into his head about like hey he should be worrying about this person or that person about what this person is doing or saying and I was like that was the to yeah. me it was like the red flag I'm like okay That's a good red I think flag. I think we're starting to worry about because I, I how think he went going. out and I told you I was like we need to start working on our pitch yeah, <laughs> and Thomas was like, "Why?" And I was like, "I think he's getting. I think he's starting to think." And you were like, "No, he's fine." I was like, "I think he's starting to think." And then the next time, I don't know what you said, but as soon as you left, Thomas was like, "He is, isn't he?" <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is why I'm going to come back to this. This is why I have these two guys there as my crew this year, right? So because Thomas is your mind. Thomas the objective. One. So no, <laughs> that too. But we so were kind of good cop, bad cop. No, no. So it comes down to like this, like. There's, there's Thomas who would be able to notice if there was like some sort of physical thing going on. With and me. fix it. And fix it, right? All I can do is kick and, it. And then, <laughs> and then Jonathan over there, I knew he could read like what I was thinking, feeling in a sense. So I had this, uh, this dichotomy, if you will, of like Thomas is there to take care of my body and, and Jonathan is going to be there to take care of like, you know, psychological stuff or like mental you know like what am I thinking because you came in that's a huge role and I man. said and I said this <laughs> and I said this because you know Jonathan is an upbeat guy and he's just like he'll talk some shit with me and everything like that and Thomas if I'm like hey listen my diaphragm is this he'll be like alright get on the ground and do this and he'll, he'll work on whatever's going on and so 
I came in and I knew that you knew where I was fucking going with my head because immediately you're like, yeah, you got two laps to get a, per, a PR or something like that. And I don't want right. to hear anything before that. And I was like, <laughs> fucking knows. You know? And I was like, some bitch. And so I was like, all right. The only downside to that is is that maybe you should have said, make it to the nighttime. Well, I even said <laughs> the next time you came back next around, time I was it. like, dude... <laughs> Things, I said, things come back around. Yeah. And by that time, you were just kind of looking at me. And, and I think that's which, when it's like, I fucking hate the road, though. Right. I hate the road. And <laughs> I didn't want to go back to the road. But I then we not. also, we realized, not to get too much into a spoiler yet, but in hindsight, I realized we showed our hand, I think, too soon. Because ultimately, when Patrick made his decision... We didn't get any say in it. We were consulted. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it was... Oh, I, I, knew. I, I, knew. Got, I got one look back. I'm done. <laughs> I, and I, I was like, "What?" And you and you didn't even. You just turned back and went to last. He I didn't like, say it. He just looked. No, he looked. He's like, he goes, "I'm done." See, I missed that totally. I saw it like I, I ran by like, the tent where you were. By. You were up by the finish line, and I ran by him. He so, had his his timing bracelet off and in Laz's <laughs> hands and was shaking hands. Like my jaws, I'm like that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I barely had time to grab my phone and get it out to take pictures. Yeah, I mean, so I was out there on the course and in. And we had talked about this a little bit. So I get to 30 hours, 20, well, 28, 29 hours, and, I, and I'm just going out on the course, and I'm doing the same damn thing over and over again. And it finally started to have this psychological effect on me. Like, I'm just doing the same fucking thing over and over and over again. Like, I would get to a hill. I'd be like, I don't want to climb this motherfucking hill again. You know, and I would go up... And I would climb it fine, like my times every time right. coming through. And, uh, you know, and even it was like the second trail loop. Because the first one I went out with somebody and, and I realized again that I, I can't run somebody else's loop. Second trail loop, I came in and Jonathan's like, did somebody tell you what a dirty joke you had to get away from? Like I flew in at like 50 minutes or whatever the hell. And I felt good because I was like, I finally feel good on the fucking trail. Like the day before the trail didn't feel good. And I was like on the trail and I could move again and I was like leaving people and I was like, fuck yes, I'm doing this. You know, and then it's like 26 hours, 27, 28, 29, 30. And I'm just running the same fucking section. I'm doing this hill again and again and again and again. And it was, it wasn't, I even had these thoughts. Like I would go down the hill, like my quads weren't screaming. Right. You know, it wasn't like I was destroyed. And I would come in for that last section, which was like a downhill into the tented area, into the, the finish, and I could open up my legs again. I felt like this great stride, and I felt good. And, you know, I was coming in. I was still able to eat. I was taking in nutrition and all this other stuff. But I was like, one of the biggest questions that I had going into the race, as we were talking about my anxieties, right, was like, do I belong? You know, it's, it's the world championship and I'm just this high school teacher from Gainesville, Florida. Do I belong? And, and, and you know, David, it was so weird, the shit that goes through your mind. So there, there was this whole thing with David Goggins like the week or two before where Moab 240, you know, he, get medi- he gets medically DQ'd and then he goes down below and then he comes back up for pride, right? He can't just accept the DNF. And just and then he goes back out on the course and he unofficially officially finishes, but he added extra miles because he got fucking lost and can't follow a fucking map. But now he's gonna be like, I did two fifty five because you're a fucking dumbass. 
you know, and then you come back out onto the course, and now you've disobeyed the RD and the volunteers. It's public land, and you're publicly a fucking asshole, David Goggins, just so we're clear. And he goes back out, and he does all of this. And I'm sitting there going, like, how much of this is ego? As I go into it, I never expected, nor did I want. And that was, that was something that I came to a very clear understanding. Like, I didn't want to be the last person standing. Like, I just wanted to know whether or not I belonged. Like, you know, like I ended up, I wasn't supposed to be at Death at Dupuis. I wasn't supposed to get in because I didn't have one of the top two finishing things. You know, I was third and like last, like threw out a, a life preserving, like, oh, by the way, if you want to get in, you can get in. And so I still had all these nagging ideas of like, I got in, but I wasn't supposed to be there. You know, and at Death at Dupuis was a funny thing. Like, I'm not even supposed to be here. And, but that line had the sinister take on it while I was at Biggs. Like, I'm not even supposed to be here. You know, and I'd make it through the night and all these other people are running strong. And I'm like, I'm not even supposed to be here. Cold drops. I'm like, he's such a better fucking runner than I am. Guillaume quits. What? the fuck is going on like right now in this world like i i just lasted longer than guillaume you know amelia boone drops and all these other people start dropping start dropping and i'm just like and now it's like i counted on one loop that you know there was like 17 or something like of us on the out and back on the road i'm like what the i'm not even supposed to be here and instead of that being a rallying cry it started to take on this like sinister tone in my head even after you've lasted, yeah, this long, you know, it, but it was it just like, you. and it, it started taking on this sinister bit, which is the beauty of this. Style yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. Because it does come down to like we saw in Patrick, like when when Patrick ended up dropping, he had not even shaved thirty seconds off of his normal time coming in. He was coming in like clockwork. Mm-hmm. He wasn't fighting the clock. But that is what's so amazing about this kind of event. It takes. Not just having a special day. Well, let's be serious. It does. It it takes a nut job that can run, you know, these ultra distances to start with, right. and that has some kind of, you know, ability to do it. Unfortunately, we're sitting around. You know, I was calculating before this podcast. The four of us sitting at this table over the last three weeks, I think you're pushing like 500 race miles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's that. Yeah. So you know, it takes a really sick kind of you know, a person with a really bad hobby by first, way, even by total the way, you're half of that. But then you have to at, at these type of last one standing events, you have to have just everything has to go right physically, you know, intestinally. But then what Patrick's getting at, mentally as well, everything has to stay, like, just simple and focused. And then, even then, I would argue that Patrick had all three of those going right. But it's still, like, I'd I'd heard you say and I'd heard other people say, talking about this type of format, you know, oh, you you don't die in camp, you die out on the course. Which, you know, going through Dupuis, you know, I didn't even make it 36% of the distance that Patrick covered in, in either Dupuis or or last last you know Big's backyard but you all of a sudden you know like you you don't have to hit the time you don't have to like start seeing things you know when things are coming unraveled and it could be mental it could be physical yeah. it could be you know intestinal it could be all at the same time but once that happens 
you know what's going to happen, and you can you can see like the writing on the wall. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. We could have like if Patrick would have came to us and said, "Hey, look, this is what we might have been able to get him out on two, three, four more loops." But at that point, it's stuff doesn't come back around, even though you're physically able to do it. Yeah, it all becomes like how much do you want? And like on another day, like you know, Patrick is one of the most competitive people I've ever been around. And another day, I could see him gnawing off his leg to stay in there. Yeah. But then some days, like it's those are rare days when you know you're willing, like any of us are willing to like go that deep. And I face it, anything over a hundred miles in twenty four hours, working on a second hundred miler sub twenty four, which you know he was already a fifty k over fifty k through. It's if you start to actually think about like where you are like physically. Yeah, it just anything like any like it's it's the proverbial straw. Yeah, it doesn't take a big straw, and and that was so much of it for this time because I just wanted to know, and you know I've already started in the last few weeks like starting to ask other questions. You know, so I get in thirty two laps, and I don't say or uh, thirty one laps, and I matched my distance that I did at Dupuy, and I felt fine in the sense of like. Sure, I would say out loud like everything hurts, but it was it was a Michael Stipe kind of everything hurts right. type of thing. Like it was more of like a mental, just like I was fucking done doing this stupid thing, and I started getting and then definitely going into that the the penultimate lap and going around, and I was like, I don't want to fucking do Laz's game anymore. Like I don't want to play Laz's game anymore. Like this is Laz's game, and he just gets to stand there and watch all of us do this and I started like seeing him as like this weird ass puppeteer you know type of thing and he's out there just like pushing us to go further and further for his fucking I mean, like enjoyment it's right it's now. gladiator shit right no exactly in, in a really cool way I mean right. like, I was digging it I would have loved right. for Patrick to keep going I would love for everybody to keep yeah. going I'd love to still be there right now right <laughs> exactly and, and but I just didn't want it to be about anyone else for any other reason than what I had and I had made it to the point that I did at Dupuy, and I was going to make it one more lap, and I wanted that lap to be exactly the same as every other lap. And if I and I when I was hitting my times on the course, that was just proof to me. Like I went beyond the distance that I did at Dupuy, 129 miles, 31 laps. I'm out of my 32nd lap. I'm still hitting my numbers and everything like that. And then you know what? Every single question I had got answered. And it was just about, you know, I didn't want to sit there and be like, uh, you know, Sean Weber's from here in Gainesville, right? You know, and it's like, oh, who's going to go farther, Sean or Patrick? Fuck that question. I didn't care about that question. You know, who's going to be the last person attending? I don't give a fuck. I'm not even supposed to be here. And now I've lasted to the last 16 people out here on the course. Professional runners, full-time runners, sponsored runners on an international level have dropped. And I've made it and I hit every single one of my time hacks on the course. And so when I came in, it was like that uh, oatmeal uh, cartoon where he's talking about the, the yellow jackets or the wasp and you know why do I run really long distances and it shows Godzilla coming out of the water and then he shows one of the yellow jackets and he's like fuck this 
and you see Godzilla with two middle fingers up, like walking back into the ocean. And I literally felt like that, like coming in. I crossed the line, and I was like, "That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Fuck you all. I'm but going home." I, I think that ties it bow around again. This this style of event, and that at face value, you know, it looks like oh, you just have one winner, and then all these other DNFs, but. I don't know if it sounds like I think Patrick feels this way. I know Thomas and I are watching all these other people go through various stages of, you know, success, but their own, you know, DNFs. Eventually their race came to an end. I, I dare say the majority of people we watched, you know, come across and hand in their bracelet. That was it, you, you, you were looking at winners the whole time. Like somebody, everybody finds something in yep. this style of an event. You know, and that's I think what the beautiful thing about it. Yes, you may have one official, you know, winner by our standards. You know, you may have one last one standing, but every single person, in order for them to, there's a couple injuries that you know can't yeah. be helped, yeah. and that's with any race. But most people got some kind of fulfillment. I didn't see anybody like you know, other than injuries or people that you know they just couldn't continue on and they had higher expectations. There was a handful of that, but yeah. for the most part, you saw people surpass what they had ever done before. Or even some people that haven't, but that found something out there, and were able to just, boom! This is, this is. I'm, I'm satisfied. It comes down to the questions that we ask ourselves. At least for me, right? Like that's right. the phrase I keep using. You toe the line at anything, and you have a question that led you to that starting line. Right. No matter what starting line it is of, of anything, right? But we'll we'll stick to running. Right. You had these questions. <laughs> And then you're at the starting line. You've already answered so many other questions. Just getting there. Could I do the training? Could I do this? Could I do that? Could I do whatever? And then once you're out on the course, you're going to get answers. And now sometimes you don't like the answers, but you get answers to those questions. And sometimes it depends on that day in that moment. Biggs is what are, interesting. What are you willing to you know, right, sacrifice? And Biggs is interesting because it's choose your own adventure book, right. right? You know, it's just like there's going to be the, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% that's the last person standing, right? And, then, and, and that was the other thing. Like, Guillaume stopped me after I, I quit. He's like, but why? You look so good. You know, why you're quitting? And, 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 and I was like, I already answered all of my questions. He's like, but what about the question of who's could be the last? You could be the last person standing. I was like, that wasn't one of my questions. You didn't need that answer. I didn't yeah. need that answer. You know, that wasn't something that I ever considered as a question. And, you know, and I really, truly, honestly thanked Laz, like saying, thank you. Like, this well, gave me all the answers. He applauded you for that honesty, too, because most people weren't honest to that yeah. degree. They gave an excuse when they quit. Yeah, and, and he asked me, and he said, well, what about these other people? I said, they want it more. Like, who am I to take this, who am I to take this away from them, in a sense? Like, they want it more. I that, don't... That day... That that day. Day. I don't. I didn't need it then. Plural. And, and, and so, <laughs> in a second, we'll probably not too many more minutes of this. You know, nice long podcast. will will break, and then the next episode will be about Pinhoti. <laughs> but um, I had a series of weekends lined up, where the weekend after Biggs, I was race directing gate to gate, and I knew all of the, like the the physical and emotional responsibilities and, and things that I needed to do to be able to do gate to gate the way that I want to do it. I never want to do that substandard in my book. And then two weeks later, I had Pinhoni, which was my Western States qualifier, which I had been signed up for, which I thought was going to be my only because I wasn't supposed to get into bigs. And so I had Pinhoni to worry about. 
And so I was also, you know, full on Kenny Rogers style, you know, knowing when to hold them, knowing when to fold them and everything like that. Like I was ending at a point where I didn't drop off on my pace. He just wanted us to hold him. And I, exactly, he wanted, I wanted you guys to hold me. And, um, the way and, to hold them. Exactly, hold me. Um, and like that I, I, I cow. so this was actually the first of three ridiculous weekends. And race directing in between. Right, well that's what I'm saying, like that was part of it, like the race directing of Gate mm-hmm. to Gate and then Pinhoti, like this was going to be the whole thing. And I had to think of it in this big picture because... I, one of my goals and one of my questions was not like, can I run until my body completely fails and I can't do jack shit afterwards? No, fuck that. Like, I, I had gate to gate where I had 200 plus runners counting on me to be there, to have everything together, to stand there at the finish line and hug everybody, mark the course, do this, do that, like all the stuff that I needed to do for gate to gate. And that was more important to me than run myself into the ground until I can't move. It's hard to get pucks with crutches. Right, exactly. You know, it's just like, so I did, I did have, I would never say that I quit because of Gate to Gate or Pinhoti or whatever, like I was worried about the next race. It was just like, this was a cumulative thing. And I went farther than I went at Dupuy. And I proved, like, the Florida boy, there was some chatter online at some point about, oh, it's a flat course and they had an easier time. And Laz says it's best, you know. The easier the course, the harder the backyard. Because that means more people are going to stay in longer. And I just wanted to be, once again, like, I was the Florida guy from flat Florida who did 31 hours before thanks to Kevin May and his assist. And now I did 32 at Biggs. And, you know, there's still, I'm still dealing with the part of my mind that goes, once again, Biggs is the only place where you can do 133 miles in 32 hours. And there's this air of like, well, that was mediocre, you know? I would say, that that was a, nice but what happened? Yeah. What happened? Why, why, why'd you stop? Yeah. You know, like, why? Only fucking time anybody's going to question a 32 hour, 133 miles. Like, well, why, why'd you quit? You I know? don't think anybody's going to question that that's even been in, in that realm. Any you know, like any runner that's ever yeah. ran, like even whether we're talking about you know an eight hundred around a track, hard, <laughs> right, yeah, or you know all the way up to hundred miles. Anybody that's ever been in in those spots where they're kind of like, why am I out here? You know, and the longer the race, the more you're actually thinking about that. Although yeah. some of this track stuff, you do think about <laughs> what the hell am I doing out here? Right. You know? But that's what I think was a huge success seeing you both before Bigs. Cutting up on our way to Chattanooga, you were super relaxed. Even going in, you held a good poker face. But when we left Biggs and holed up in a motel in Murfreesboro that night, we went out to eat. Oh, we had a great time at the Olive Garden. I would have thought you <laughs> would have poor won waitress that was out. She was like, "I'm out." But like, just you had permagram from like where. So I mean, I, I think it. You know, again, I think that's. A lot of our sports, you know, we look at, you know, there's the winner and then there's everybody else. You know, everybody else is, you know, first losers, right? But, like, looking at how you went in, you know, maybe you're thinking about other things just like as we humans do now. But, like, looking at you before and after the race, I think it was definitely deemed a success. And I know Thomas and I had a long talk the night before Biggs. When we were holed up in Chattanooga, you were already in bed. Thomas and I went down by the pool, and that was the one thing. We were like, look. You know, we're here to you know help you as far along as, as you want to go, 
But our biggest worry was yeah. like, what do we do? Like, how do we triage this if for some reason you aren't satisfied? Yeah, Nothing. that was our biggest concern. Was like that right? how, how we huh. were gonna like co- first time cope with this, yeah. like like you know just with you know no mileage associated yeah like nothing your your idea of failure if you failed that that i think we strategized and talked more about that one thing than we did about when to fry bacon (laughs) you know what you need you know when to change that stuff was just natural reasons why we can't which one of us is going to put on sunscreen thomas was (laughs) (laughs) and and all together that also proves why i chose like the such a good crew of people to come with me and the two of you because that was the thing you were worried about the most the night before that's amazing we that's ended up fantastic. staying up probably for like an hour and a half by the pool because you were sleeping in the room we were, I was dead we asleep. slipped out and we were like alright you know here's here's. The- I mean, it was cold too <laughs> yeah we were freezing out there it was, it was cold but we were strategizing we were like you know okay like you know like just you know you showing up for this race it's a success but you know what what does happen if for some reason whether it's injury whether it's you know Whatever reason, yeah. what happens when we're leaving and driving home? If you're not satisfied, how can we deal with that? What are the things we could say? And that, like, we never really solved anything. So it's good that you <laughs> seem satisfied because we, we didn't know what the we fuck didn't we were have the ace do. in the we hole. That, we, we, didn't have like, we had no plans. I felt like we did though. We, I felt like we walked away feeling confident. <laughs> I think it may have been a reason why you lost that thought. I I think at one point I suggested we just kick the shit out of it. Oh, it was great to see, you know, to walk up to Laz and, you know, and just be like on my own terms and be like, you know what? I'm done, man. I'm good. good." I said, I answered all my questions. He's like, and he even said a couple things. He he was like, but you look good. Like you're getting stronger. Like everybody else. And he said, turn around and look. And there was a few people coming in and he's like, they're getting weaker. You're getting stronger. Like you look good. You could go back out. And I was just, I looked at him. I was like, "Get thee behind me, devil!" You know, <laughs> Satan, get thee behind me. You know, not today, like, Satan. Not today. I know you, Satan, and I know what you're doing. And you know, I was just like, "You got me, man." I don't, I don't want to. And that's when I, I said, "He's like, well, what about this?" I was like, "They want it more." And he's like, "Most people aren't willing to admit that. They're not honest enough to admit that." I was like. You can quote me, because he asked me, he's like, can I quote you? And I was like, absolutely, quote me all day long. I'm good. And Mike Melton, who I know for, for years now, was there in the tent, and he you know, had a moment, he's like, you know, when you hand me that, that timer off of your wrist, there's no going back. I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. Like, I'm totally good right now just handing this off to you. And as soon as I did, he kind of smiled at me. He's like, so you're coming to Ancient Oaks? And he was like, already for like the next race and everything like that. He's like, oh, you could do something special on that course, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, but it was just like to stand there with like some giants in a sense and just be like, I chose this. Like, this is my choice. And, and, and to pay back all those people that were still running. It was so funny. Yeah, because it was so good. First, Patrick stands there and like shakes everybody's hand, which most people were doing. But then he goes over and, like, we give him some food, some drink, and then he lays down. He is out. Like, you could kick no, him. No, no, before I went out. When he was taunting and drinking. You, you got Rob's nope. Pop-Tart box. I got, I yep. got a Pop-Tart box. <laughs> he was coherent enough. I, I was lying there, and before I, I passed out, I went, can you guys find it? There's a box of Pop-Tarts that hasn't been opened yet. And then I called Amelia Boone over. Which, I got to make a little fun of that. Yeah. Because... 
here's somebody that, yes, he had just ran, you know, for over 130 miles. So, of course, you know, he doesn't want to move. But keep in mind, Amelia Boone had just finished her first 100-miler. Yep. She had ran 112, and then she had kind of turned into crew. But Patrick, you know, he's laying there, and, like, he's thinking about you, Rob, and he's thinking about <laughs> Pop-Tarts. He asked Thomas, like, can you find that? There should be an unopened box of Pop-Tarts. I'm like, all right. All right. Why do you, you want can, the unopened You can one? have an open one. We <laughs> find it, and we they hand it no to him. no idea what I'm asking for, yeah. But in his ultra-riddled mind... He's laying down, and he's like, uh, Miss Amelia! Uh, and, and he summons her. And that's how you know she's she's a pretty Amelia. sweet lady. Yeah. Because she gets up out of her chair, you yeah. know, blistered hobbles feet over. and everything, hobbles over. I, I stood up. Yeah. I stood up then. I stood up you then. Did. I did stand up. But I was, I was like, Amelia, come here. I, I didn't was say in the background Amelia. just dying. <laughs> and I'm like, only at an ultra event do you see, like, you know, one person that's like, you know, several miles into it a little further, summon somebody else who's, you know, over a hundred and something miles in and it, it was it was pretty fun. And then we were trying to figure out what she would write to you on there. And so both of our ultra addled brains were trying to figure out like what she's like, well I don't know him. I was like What do you write to somebody else that uh, loves Pop Tarts? And I was like running? she was like, so does he use it for fuel? I was like, yes. He's like, Chirab. A guy who knows what the best fuel is, like in her ultra brain or whatever it said in the end, and she signs it off. And I was like, "Thank you so much." We just we loved the like fluidity in which she was like, "Oh yeah, sure, I'll sign your pop tarts." Like, no big deal. I've done this probably seventeen times every day. I asked her. I was like, "Have you ever signed it?" And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I have." And I was like, "All right, good." And I was like, "To Rob, that's two B's," and you know, like all this other stuff. (laughs) You know, like going through this whole thing, and she signs it and signs it off to you, and I was like. Rob is gonna fucking love this. Like, no matter everything else that I did that weekend was was paling in comparison to like this box of pop tarts that I've now gotten signed. You. As Thomas said Amelia earlier, though, most people sprint their death throes. Patrick gets Amelia Boone to sign a box of pop tarts, and then he goes out for right. hours. And then I was just like, "All right, good." And I handed it off to you guys, and I was like, "So this is where I'm sleeping." And Thomas is like. Yeah, you know, it's really tough. Uh, you know, there, there's the bell and the whistles and everything. This guy's have to sleep. I was like, fuck, you know me. Uh, what's this? And I just, like, put in a couple of earplugs. I put my arm over my head. And I was just like, I was like, I'm out. And uh, so <laughs> I, I get woken up by somebody, like, shoving my ass with a foot or something like that. I actually right. ran up to you a couple times and like punched you, and then I'd run away. <laughs> and it didn't work. You I'm didn't gonna get move. mine. So if I had to go up and just put my boot on it and just start shaking, <laughs> so I'm, I'm awake. I'm awake. And then I'm in a field, and everything's gone. Like they had packed up everything around Tent, me. Canopy, canopy, boxes, the truck. Everything like, was in the truck. It was all in the truck. And I go, I'm like, the fuck is this place? And it was getting dark and I'm like, oh, alright, where am I going? And so I go to stand up and my legs are like, fuck you, bro. And they didn't work. <laughs> like the first way I tried to stand up did not happen at all. Like a baby deer. <laughs> That's a good analogy. I'm sure that's exactly what it looked like. Because, uh, you know, you guys apparently had tried to wake me up a little bit before, and I was just like... Four you know, hours, probably? <laughs> four hour nap? Four hour yeah. yeah. No, it, like, there were they quite a few ca- laps that got done. Yeah, they carried a tent over me, and like setting, like breaking quite out... Quite haphazardly, too, yeah. yeah. I almost took him out. <laughs> there would have... Actually, we could compute this, because you... one thirty. 
133. Yeah, yeah. And when we finally woke you up and got you to the truck, they were going out on, on the second, second or night third nightly. Second. Yep. Nice nap. Yep. It was a good nap. It was a real good nap. So that would have been... Uh, they actually yeah. served dinner and it, like, everybody Oh, yeah, I did ate. grab some food on the way out. Yeah, because then I said goodbye to Laz and there was, like, food out and all this other stuff. As we were walking by the little house. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then we went back and... We went to the hotel, and then we went to Olive Garden, and then I barely kept myself from falling asleep in the uh, shrimp scampi slash <laughs> seafood sampler or whatever the hell I ended up eating. Because I started to eat it, and then the fettuccine sauce, like the dairy, just turned my stomach, and I couldn't eat it. But I ate all the shrimp out of it and all the seafood, and I nearly just like late. It looks so soft and warm. Like, <laughs> I just put my head on that shrimp. Our poor server at one point was like, "So what brings you guys into town?" <laughs> <laughs> or I think, did you guys get any anything fun this yeah, weekend? What yeah, what you guys do this weekend? <laughs> well, yeah. and then since we you asked, yeah. <laughs> then we came back and I, hey, you know what? And then the next day, like I drove you guys home. Yeah, I drove you guys back from Tennessee so you guys could relax and hang out and and everything and talk some trash in the truck on the way home. Yeah, it was a phenomenal trip. It was. Uh, it was. It was a great experience. I think you know, all around. I and think you still need to publicly share that elevator photo, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So we go Insult to leave. to injury. We go to oh, leave the, the. We go to leave the hotel, and there's a sign. We're on the third floor, and there's a sign that morning and it says elevator out please use stairs and I was like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> I just ran all this and you made fun of me going down sideways but I walked those stairs by myself you did you did I, mean, we come out of, I don't do elevators so we come out of the room and I'm like guys I'm gonna take the stairs and Patrick's like I'm not and Thomas is like I'll go with him so they disappear I go to the stairs I go down I get out by the truck I wait <laughs> and I wait and I wait. I'm like, what oh, the hell? And God. then here come these two guys, and like <laughs> Patrick's walking like a corn cob's been shoved up, even. Oh yeah, but triumphantly. <laughs> He's like, I made it down the stairs. I'm like, what? That was a 133 mile long corn cob that was up my ass going oh. down those stairs. I'm just saying. It's like, what do you mean you made it down the stairs? And, and they're working out. They had this photo, and it was like Patrick just standing there, just like this, looking at <laughs> just like. <laughs> Apologies, but our elevators. <laughs> Sorry for the inconvenience. Sorry for the inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the inconvenience, but fuck you. So yeah. So you're so, going back. What's up? Are you going, going back? back? <laughs> I haven't been picked yet. I haven't picked. The uh, the registration opened for 2020 bigs. I put my name in the hat. Um, Sean Weber and others who had gone over 40. I guess last chose 40 hours as the cutoff, the initial cutoff. So the first round of people have been chosen. Um, so there's still half of the general population slots open. And then there's the golden ticket races. And so uh, Jonathan, Thomas, and I are going to uh, Death at Dupuis. And Tatiana. And, and there's yeah. a whole slew of people. Oh, there's a whole yeah. slew of people. But present company here... Uh, we are all going to Death at Dupuis 2020, which is the uh, an official golden ticket, so there's no, like, ooh, what did the other North American races do type of thing. Mm, doesn't it is, matter. doesn't matter. Whoever is the last person standing at Death at Dupuis gets the golden ticket, which is actually a gold coin with Big's face on it, and it just says in a Big Dog's Backyard Ultra and that you are going to the big dance with Big. 
And so we are all going. So we will not be crewing for each other. We will be going up against each other at uh, Death at Dupuis in February. Uh-huh. So sort of like the Civil War. You know, families will be split asunder. <laughs> and uh, and that's what's going to happen down at Thunder Dupuis. Thunder will roll. Thunder will roll, yeah. It's, you know, the Triple Alliance War just at this table. And, you know, and the Melody is going and... Uh, and Mike Cole is Mike going. Rosado is going. Cole That's is going right. to be there. Uh, Kevin May, former assist winner, there is there. Uh, Eddie Sosa is going to be there again. So you got some people with experience. You got some other people. There's a Benoit Letourneau mm. who um, was third overall at uh, Barclay Fall Classic a couple of years ago. He's coming down from Canada. Matt wow. Bradshaw, who was there last year, yep. he made it to around the 100K mark. He's coming yep. back down from exactly. North Carolina. Yep, so there's a, there's a couple of headhunters who found out, oh, it's the Florida Golden Ticket, and so they think, oh, the elevation, this, that, and the other. So there's some people from far away. They think uh, this is going to be oh, a yeah. cakewalk. They're going to come in and I'm try and... Like, cake. They're going to try and like take it away from the Floridians. Which is... You know, kind of thinking about that. How would you... I mean, I don't have the same... I experienced both weather... I, I, I experienced one loop of both the night and the day yeah. at Biggs. I, I do yeah, think I it's, it's more... Especially the the night loop is probably easier at Death of Dupuis in that it's not pavement. It's not pounded pavement. It's a nice, you know, kind of forest, crushed limestone kind of thing. The trail, though... Technically, is easier. So terrain-wise, I would say Dupuis is easier. Yes, I agree. Weather-wise, though, especially if we have it like last year, I think Dupuis is way more difficult. Oh in yeah, terms of I mean, heat, well, humidity. You had Shinoa come down, and Shinoa had been able to, and she did like seventy odd miles this year at yeah. Biggs or something like that, right? And Shinoa was out before twenty-ish miles. Yeah, she yeah. didn't make it to fifty k because you get that Florida humidity, and even if the heat isn't that bad by our standards, right? And she's a she's a Georgia girl, and she came down and she's like, "What the fuck is this?" It's that South South Florida, just, just South wall. South. Can't breathe. You know, because you're right next to Okeechobee. You're right there in the marsh. You're on the edge of the marsh at Dupuis. And you're running mostly through a pineland forest. Yeah, with lots of sand, lots Sauce of just no shade. Like convection. You know, that was the thing. At, like Biggs, like once you went out into the woods, there was shade. Right. You know, and it was like you you didn't have to worry about what was going on in the rest. Like, Dupuis, you never get shade. Like, the whole entire course is exposed. And, you know, when we were doing it, there wasn't a fucking cloud in the sky. And for that same reason, it seemed like night, you had that inversion yep. where the humidity stayed high, but the temperatures dropped. Oh, so it every was body, chilling cold. Every body of water was putting off a mist. We were running yeah. through fog all night long, and that fog was just, like, sticking to you and getting you soaked. And you would get back to the tent. And everything was soaked inside of the tent because it wasn't like blowing rain. It was just this moisture that was everywhere. So it is kind of a farce as far as terrain. You know, you're, there's always that give and take of a backyard. Yeah. You know, Benoit, 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 I think his name is pronounced. He's coming down from Ontario. Yeah. You know, so he's coming down from Canada. In, in February. In February. And so, you know, it, it's it's really, really interesting. You got somebody like Chris Stevens, who was at Biggs, right. who was at Death at Dupuis, who's done Icarus, you know, the three day uh, Suffer Fest here, and, and other really, really impressive things. You know, looking down the list, I was looking at it today, and, you know, and kind of in prep for this conversation, I was looking at Death at Dupuis and the entrance and going, 
you know, you got it's some, exciting. Yeah, you got some people who are going to be there to do work, and that's exciting. Woo. You know, and it, it's exciting to me having been there, and you know, the year before, and you know, and three of us going into the night versus what I went through at Biggs with you know like 50, 60 people going through the night right. easy, and, and and I'm I I feel like I got a little bit prepared for the idea of like. When it comes to night, like that's just going to be the beginning. Like that's the beginning right. of it all. To sit there at Biggs and and once again, a hundred miles sub twenty four is fucking mediocre. It's not even mediocre. It's not. It's like that's the baseline. And I think Biggs translating into Death at Dupuis is going to be the same kind of thing. Like we're going to have a crowd. We're going to have a crowd going through the night, and it's going to be those people who can handle Florida at night. Because it was way different. So sure, the surface was easier. Right. But you're still getting that energy suck of like running across sand and running across dirt at night. Where at Biggs, it was like you could totally just like do 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 do. Well, the other thing and, I, mean, I mean, asphalt. You've heard me say this about other courses. That's why I prefer mountains. Working the same muscle groups. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. at least at Biggs, there were a couple of hills where everybody got into right. the rhythm of like I'm going to walk this. Hill, this I'm is walk where this. you walk. No questions. There is nothing like that at, at Death of Debris. There's nothing. Everything was secret walking spots. It, it, you, and you have to figure that out immediately because... But you it, ran everything. I did. I did. I did. I did. I, I, I was just like, I'm going to run it all. And, uh, you know, whether or not that backfired for me a couple times, like having 20 minutes of sitting there in that cold and that humidity by myself. You know, Jonathan had run and raced that day and he was, you know, sleeping in the tent saying, you know, he's going to crew for me the next day. And, you know, I'm just there by myself. And, like, Eddie running up and, like, trying. He ran with me one lap just so he could get extra time to sit in his car. And he tried to start up his car. And he's revving the engine so that it would, the heater would kick up. on. Yeah. So he could come in. And then there's Kevin who was just, like, he had his exact run walk every single lap, every single time, no matter what, every time. So it'll be really interesting to go uh, down to death at Dupuy. You should do a semi-live podcast. You should come down and like hang out at Death of Dupuy and do some uh, some live action commentary. And you know, uh, look, kids, the race. Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> I can't get left. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was that was big. Thirty-two hours, one hundred thirty-three miles. All of my questions were answered. And of course, uh, Will Hayward goes out for the assist. Ends up running in an ancient Hong Kong neighborhood on his final lap and times out. And Maggie Guterell. <laughs> Already suited up and ready to go out after 60. She made it 60 laps, and, and Will made it 59. So for the first moment, so Laz now officially has to call it last person or last one standing. He can no longer call it last man standing. He was like adamant it. He was adamant that he was going to call it last man standing until a woman won, and now Maggie has won, and Laz has got to call it either last person standing or last one standing. Cannot call last man standing anymore. No, I didn't realize he had, he had made that proclamation. Well, he, he can't. Yeah. He's like, I'll change the name when a woman wins. And now a woman has won, and so he has to change the name to last one or last person standing. Did you find your sense of belonging? I did. I felt like I, I did. And, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes we all have that nagging negative voice in our heads. Who wants to second guess me now? Like two weeks out, you know? And like, well, you know, you could have gone longer. You could, and that, and I have to tell that voice to shut the fuck up. Could have, should have, would have. Yeah. No, it's not even that. It's like, fuck you. Right. You know, like, no. Now I did what I set out to do. I did it. No one can sit there and look at me in the face 
and say that I didn't belong there. I was I was the 16th person from the finish, you know, 50 odd, 60 something people, whatever that number comes out to be, right? Quit before I did, and I was there, and I and I held my own. And I, I th- I've been developing some new questions if I get the chance to go back, whether on my own merit or otherwise. I've got some other questions I'd like to have answered. And I have to remember, like, the questions I have now were not the questions that I had that day. That is kind of one of the other cool stories that came out of this year. You know, I mean, Maggie Guterl just taking it to the house, you know, winning, and, and not just you know, winning. She didn't squeak by. She right. was so solid. I really do, whether it's true or not, she made me believe that she could go on for days more. Yep. But the other cool things that came out, you know, Will, who got the assist, Will Hayward, he was one of, of two of the last four. The other one being Katie, yep. who now lives in New Zealand. I think she's originally from, from England. Both of them, just like Patrick was saying, you know, who am I, a high school yeah. English teacher? Yep. Quote, unquote, Both of nobody's. them, same kind of thing. One's, a, you know, I think Will's a psychologist. Or, you know, he's a, a professor of psychology. I can't remember what Katie does, but it's, I think she's a veterinarian. That sounds right. But both of them just you know common everyday people. Both of who they're runners. They're obviously good runners. They made it into bigs. Both of them though doubled. I mean, just like you know Kevin May at, at Death and Dupuy. You know that is kind of another cool thing about this format. You know you. You can't. It, it gives you a sense to, to believe. You know whether or not you have accolades in the past or not. Any one of us can can dream. Now, whether or not we can actually step up and make it happen, yeah, who knows? But in this event, you know, there are two of the last four <coughs> came off the street, basically didn't have like really any other accolades to their name, and they made it into the last four of you know, Big's backyard. And last year was the same way. So for you me, know, yeah, that, Johan... that just that shows that you know, as far as you know. I don't belong here. I think anybody belongs there. Anybody that makes it there it, belongs there. Once you once you make it past a certain level, I think regardless of how it. they perform, yeah. people yeah. belong, and anybody that's willing to step up and, and oh, it's a terrifying race. Yeah, it's oh, a terrifying race. Terrifyingly simple. No, you're going to your limit, whatever your limit is. Like right. I can go out right now and run a fifty k, and I'm and, and I can, right? Even in my semi hobbled state right now, like if we went out right now. Especially a couple beers in me, and you're like Patrick. I don't think you could do a 50k. I would run a 50k right now. Because because we're dumb. Right now. Because I'm an idiot, <laughs> and I'd be like, sure, fine, whatever. And my Irish heritage would come in. How the fuck you then? How do I do it right now? And out the door I'd go running a fucking 50k, and and that would be it. This might be a good way to end this podcast. <laughs> let's, let's turn this thing off and go run a 50k. That's it. We're off. And so, we're off. And we we're off. Right? right. So here we are. It's a 50k. It's like it's. It's like Rocky. The triple right? loop stout 50K. That's right. So it's like that scene in Rocky where you never know who won that fight. As he comes in. <laughs> as he comes in and he starts battling Apollo Creed. And right as you hear the music, they're in the ring by themselves. And they start dancing around each other. And then boom. And all you see is like the swinging of the punches. And nobody knows who won that fight. And that's it, because we're about to go have the drunk ass motherfucker 50k. <laughs> See you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Between Two Runners, sponsored by the Athletes Inn and Pancakes.